Hey, Whatnots. Jeff here. And before the episode gets going, I just wanted to give you a warning. Uh, since the election, Graham and I make it a point to uh, not really talk about political situations or what's going on in the larger sense of the world, because um, I feel like we both feel like a lot of people sort of want the chance to be able to escape from that. Uh, this time, however, uh, in the course of talking about everything, um, I definitely was not quite in that zone um, of some things have been going through my head recently about issues relating to empathy and uh, the current state of affairs. So we talk about the current state of affairs. I wanted to give you that warning. There's a lot of comic book talk, too, coming up, as you'll hear from the introduction and when the episode gets going. But if um, you do not want to put up with a lot of uh, hand-wringing, this may not be the episode for you. And um, you should use it wisely uh, in moderation. Thank you so much. Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and you're listening to, wait, what? Comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress. That is waitwhatpodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I are back with a hefty two-and-a-half-hour episode with a very long descent into grim and gritty as we talk about the current state of the U.S. and how it relates to the comic book industry. But don't worry, we also have discussions of Marvel Legacy number one, Harley Quinn, a celebration of 25 years, Commandy Challenge number nine by Tom King and Kevin Eastman, Audubon on the Wings of the World by Fabian Groulot and Jeremy Royer, and much, much more. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy... And thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello. <laughs> How are you doing, excitable Lester? Oh, I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm very fine. And yourself, sir? I am, I am just as fine as I was when we tried to do this call 15 minutes ago. Well, the good thing is, is you're kind of not popping and breaking out, so I would say you're even more fine. Oh! You should play He's So Fine. At this point, oh, I should. I forget. Like, imagine the, the problems we would get into if someone decided to do a copyright thing if we did that. Though. I know, which I've always been. Who thought it was a funny joke? Now you owe us seven million dollars. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I've totally been worried about copyright stuff all along. So. Oh, can I tell you a copyright story that is not my story? But uh, and I'll have to leave out the names for reasons that will become very apparent very quickly. Yes, absolutely. That should be interesting. Uh, uh, a movie that is coming out relatively soon and is a very big nerd property mm-hmm. released images to the internet to say our movie is coming out. Look at the stars of this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, someone I know who uh, publishes on the internet mm-hmm. published a story saying these stories have, these uh, photos have come out. Look at these photos. Mm-hmm. I.e. doing what is supposed to be done with these photos. Mm-hmm. That person got a takedown notice uh, months later uh, that also like asked for financial uh, recon- recompense. Oh, no That way. was significantly outside of the realms of reality. <laughs> and, and then the dogs barked. Yes, and then Barney and <laughs> Gus goes. Yeah. I'm not going to have to go and shut them up. I'll be okay. back in a second. Talk about yourselves. Yes. Listeners, I don't know if you caught that. I said Barney and Gus Gus instead of Ernie and Gus Gus. That's that's 
That's vexing. That kind of sums up the week that I have had, though, I have to be honest. Although, I'm very happy to mention, as long as I'm, uh, it's just the two of us, I should plug my appearance on Intuit with the delightful L. Collins. Uh, those of you who aren't quite tired of listening to me jaw, that's a pun, about jaws, will be excited to know that L and I had a, uh, what I thought was a really fun conversation, um, discussing the epic Spielberg summer blockbuster from the 70s. Uh, I love that film. I had a great time talking with L. The thing that was frustrating was, A, I felt I talked too much, as I usually sometimes do. But You always think that, though, Jeff. Oh, my God, Graham. I wish I had heard you come back. That's more fine. It's true. I do think that. But, man, L is one uh, uh, smart cookie. Let me tell you that. Like, uh, whenever I, lo- I love into it, I really love into it, and it, and it, it's because Elle is such a smart cookie. Mm-hmm. She, uh, she can let, she can basically keep up with any conversation, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not she knows the stuff, but she always seems to know enough to make you go, huh, I've never thought of that. Yeah, completely. In fact, there, there were a few things that I really noticed at, at this particular school my most recent screening of Jaws that I did not brought up in our conversations. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to mention this on an, on air. And Elle pointed them out, like, pretty flawlessly. I was like, ooh, ooh. Yeah, so Elle's yeah, great. Elle, yeah, Intuit's great. Mm-hmm. Intuit's such a good podcast. Yeah, yeah. And she's really just such a, a generous conversationalist. She'll, um, you know, she's... She, She'll keep the conversation moving along. She asks the questions. She's really sort of letting you um, give you enough rope to kind of hang yourself or spotlight you in your best light, depending on which sort of person you are, <laughs> if you're not me. Wait, yeah, exactly. Wait, which side of the hot glass half full, half empty you fall on. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I, I have to say, when I saw uh, you being like, hey, I'm on into it, I, my first response was, didn't fucking tell me you were doing an Intuit about Jaw. Oh, I thought I told you. Oh, my goodness. No, I got him seriously pissy. It was really funny. It, it, like, even before a, oh, I can't wait to hear that, I really was like, you didn't tell me you that. Did, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, well, I, I apologize if not, Graham. I remember no, being really, quite jealous when you is, uh, did. This is what's really funny. Mm-hmm. You don't have to tell me. Right. <laughs> you no, know what I mean? Like, what? Why? Why should you? But it was that was honestly the first response, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, that's really funny. That's sweet. Well, you did tell me when you were when you were, when you did into it like years ago, talking about Kirby with L, and uh, and of course I was pretty jealous then. So uh, it makes sense. Yeah, I, I I still haven't heard the Jaws one, but I really am looking forward to. It. I think I'm going to hear it tomorrow. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a little um, inside secret. Uh, which is, is that, you know, you know, I'm very open about this. Like, I just, it's hard for me to find, uh, the time to listen to podcasts and not just the time, but like, I'm so non-multitasky. It's really hard for me to listen to things and like do anything else, like literally anything else. But I'm like, you know what? I got to make it a point to listen to into it, get a good sense. I've always wanted to anyway. Perfect excuse. So I queue up a couple of episodes, including it was a great recent episode where L was discussing uh, Casablanca, in fact. And um, I don't, let's see, L, let's see if I can get the Casablanca episode up, um, where she talked to Jojo Seams, and it it was a great, it was really great, and really did have a lot of like, oh crap, like you know, I like 
Casablanca, not at Jaws-like levels, but I'm always impressed at what a really clever, smart, enjoyable movie it is. It's really rich in a way that you wouldn't expect because everyone's like, talks about it like it's a, you know, like a classic. Like everyone in America well, loves but, it. But that's just it. It's one of those things. I actually think, weirdly enough, Citizen Kane is the same thing, where so many people talk about it that you kind of feel like you've seen it before you've seen it. And then you see it and you're like, oh, this is totally different and better. Yeah. Although, you know, I gotta say, I've, I, this is, this is me being a heathen. I love the look of Citizen Kane. I like the idea of what he's doing. Oh man, I mean, talk about daring. But I was, I was, I was bored by a certain amount of Citizen Kane. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, it's... We'll agree to disagree and we should stay on the topic of Casablanca and Into It. Oh yeah. So Casablanca, Into It, listening to it, it's great. But I was listening and I'm like, they are talking so quickly. Oh my God. And then I was like, Oh, I think maybe L like compresses the podcast by like just removing all the things. Cause people were talking kind of like this and there was no little space in between the words. And I was like, shit. And then <laughs> only at the very end did I realize that because I listened to podcasts so infrequently. Oh my God, were you listening to everything like one and a half at speed? one and a half speed on the podcast <laughs> app? And I didn't even know. And I was just like, uh, I don't know if I can keep up with these people. And the sad part is, is even though I realized that before we had our conversation, I feel like at certain points when I was talking uh, about Jaws, I felt like, Jesus, Jeff, you're trying to talk at one and a half speed. I can just tell. Just stop it. You get, when you get excited, you talk quickly. Yeah. I I don't say that you were a fast talker generally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But when you get excited, you do. You're like, I'm really into this. Yeah, well, and that's it. It does make me sound uh really into it, which I am. I'm into Jaws, and maybe it was the excitement, and I had a great time. But I also just afterward was like, oh, anyone listening to this who's picturing like uh, me having done an enormous baggie of cocaine before getting on the call, I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. So, which is a shame because, you know, I edit the podcast here, us, at like 1.5 speed where we sound like Macintosh, do, do you the Goofy, Gopher, Goofy Gophers. Yeah, I do now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I could not do that. It's pretty, it's, I, I think it's quote unquote mostly easy. I mean, there may be a problem where there's like dead space, but it's fast enough. I guess maybe it's like 1.4 speed where like you can stop point one makes all the difference. Yeah, it really does. Graham, let me tell you, uh, don't, don't fall for the fallacy of the heap, sir. So, so all of a sudden there was just that. Uh, there's times where you can actually hear the 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 blurps and the, the like the weird audio stuff that usually inevitably is me mouth breathing that has to be removed. But uh, but <laughs> I, you know what I noticed? And I am apologizing to you in advance. Uh-huh. You know what I noticed uh, with the last Baxter Building editing? Mm. This headset makes me pop much more, and mm. I don't know how to change that. And I, I apologize in, in advance because it really, and I apologize to the listeners for that matter because I couldn't really do anything about it with the last Baxter building. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're going to have to do something, Jeff, because otherwise I'm a pop. Yeah. yeah you literally so, followed sorry, that everyone. with a pop. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, it's true. I do. Well, that was intentional. <laughs> was it? You bastard. Ah. <laughs> Uh, uh, Graham McMillan, I forget, did we get down the path of comic book news, but then you were telling me comic book news thinking that we yeah, were, weren't so, so on what, air? So what happened 
in the last thing, besides the fact that the Wi-Fi was kind of shitty and it ended up being a bad quality of call, is that we started talking about comic book news and then it's like, oh, Jeff, because I thought we weren't recording yet. And I started telling him the comic book news that I will be reporting this week. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So Jeff knows none of that now. That's right. I definitely didn't break any embargoes at anyone who's listening. I've, I've been wiped. Well, that's fine. As I was telling Graham, which led us into it, I, I actually thought that I didn't know any of the comic book news, but turns out I kind of did. So, uh, so Graham, tell me in a, in sort of a straddling like the Colossus of Rhodes between comic book news and comic book, Marvel Legacy number one. How was it? Um, I I don't know how to answer that one, Jeff. Hmm. To be perfectly honest with you, um, is it the Colossus of Rhodes it. thing? Did that throw you off? Is that kind of yeah? That's that... that's totally what it was. You're, you're like um, Colossus was not in the comic, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, Colossus was not in the comic. Nor was that's, James that's Rhodes. One of my problems. With... Oh my god, Colossus <laughs> and Rhodes! They totally got to do a limited series. We've just stumbled oh, onto no. gold. Big no. old piles of gold. No. Oh. <laughs> anyway, Marvel Legacy. The reason I can't answer is... Is it still under embargo it... a week after release? <laughs> God, that, that would have been smart. Um, I don't think it does what we want it to do. Uh-huh. But it's relatively successful as like a... As, you know how Marvel used to do, you know... um Marvel Now point one or all new Marvel Now point one and it was like, you know, a fifty page comic that was essentially lots of teasers for yes. other comics. Right. Mm-hmm. That's Marvel Legacy. Mm-hmm. Marvel Legacy has like a, a quote quote plot and then literally midway through they start dropping in page long teasers for other books. Oh no. Ah uh... so opens with uh one million years BC Avengers. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, here's a Celestial, because of course there's a Celestial. That's Actually, I'll get to that in a bit. Here's a Celestial. Um, what's going on with the Celestial? And then it's like, cut to the future. And in the future, Ghost Rider has been dreaming of this. And he, But he's in South... Why is he in South Africa? Why is Starbrand trying to kill him? And he and Starbrand have a fight. And in between the fight, which goes on far too long, you get like, and here's what Steve Rogers is doing right now. Here's what Tony Stark is doing right now. Here's what Thor is doing right now. Each one drawn by the artist of those particular books. Mm-hmm. So it's actually very similar to the fucking Marvel Age Annual. Mm. <laughs> Where you get like eight pages are drawn by the artist of that book going, right. here's what's happening in our comic this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem being that if this is meant to act as a comeback, everything has changed. Mm-hmm. It demonstrates really nothing has changed yeah uh if it's supposed to be a new readers jump on here mm-hmm. it's a terrible first foot forward mm-hmm. because it's around fucking Starbrand and ghost rider <laughs> it doesn't introduce like Starbrand literally shows up and is like i i have to kill you because i am Starbrand," and then they fight <laughs> you know? and you're like what the fuck is this like this is insane also I read Marvel comics and I don't know if that's like the same star brand that we've seen recently in Avengers and in his own series or a different guy mm-hmm. because if it's the same guy he, he's aged 20 years oh boy but he's wearing the same costume is that just like he said Rubik was given bad uh, reference mm-hmm. or 
like I, I wasn't the Starbrand in the Night Mask series. Maybe he did age twenty years in that series. Mm. Um, but also, it doesn't matter. He gets killed by the end of the the issue. Ghost Rider kills him because Ghost Rider has new new superpowers, which he even comments on. He's like, "I didn't know I could do that," and it's like, "Ooh, guess you should read fucking Ghost Rider: Spirits of Vengeance to find out what that's about." Um, honestly, if so, later on this week, I ended up rereading Rebirth, DC Rebirth. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, Legacy One felt like they read Rebirth and were like, oh, we can do that. And yet somehow forgot to make it as a book that you could come into cold. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. nothing, everything feels in motion. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like the Hulk teaser is literally people are in a, uh, uh, um, like a NASA type environment and they're listening for, to messages from space and a message comes through and it's like, we're the planet Sakaar! We need you, Hulk! That's it. And it's like, well, if you don't know planet Hulk, that means nothing. Right. You know, Thor teaser is, Thor is getting drunk in a bar. And the bar person's like, oh, you're getting drunk so often, I'm going to refuse to serve you. The Iron Man teaser is, where is Tony Stark? He's in a coma, but his body has disappeared. The Captain America teaser is, Cap in a... Uh, a diner while television is like can you believe Cap was a Nazi and he's like oh shucks I don't know where I'm going neither does America I mean it's all it's all it's that unsubtle Hmm. um the the quote unquote big reveals are Wolverine's back Mm -hmm. and the issue is being narrated it ends up the reveal on the final page by Valeria Richards Mm -hmm. and that's it you know, so it's 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 actually kind of a massive letdown. Mm-hmm. But it's only a massive letdown if you expected Marvel to do something different. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Like if you were like, if, but if you went into it being like, I've been following Marvel for the last like five years, and I know what to expect from a Marvel preview issue. That's exactly what Legacy was. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like an idiot for paying six dollars for it. Mm. Oh, I was, I just assumed you got a preview copy or something. Nope. I paid $6 on it for it. Um, and I do, I feel like an idiot for paying $6 for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because that's a lot of money. Yeah. You know, and it's a 50 page comic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's a drag. Um, it's, it's fine, but it's just fine. Mm hmm. Uh, it's actually even more of a letdown because I like Jason Aaron and I think Jason Aaron's been doing really interesting Marvel work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't even feel particularly Jason Aaron-ish. Mm. It feels like it feels like it could have been written by Bendis. It feels like it could have been written by Matt Fraction five years ago. Mm. You know, it's it's got that generic Marvel feel, mm-hmm. which. Which is a problem because Marvel has been putting out more interesting books than that. Yes. And so, if this is their best foot forward, their best foot forward looks really shitty. Mm-hmm. It looks very generic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the best I can say about it is there's some nice art. Chris Samney's cat page is nice. Um, Jim Chung's Marvel Two in One page is nice. Mm-hmm. You know, he said Rubik's work. Honestly, has been better. Like, Secret Wars was better than this. Mm-hmm. But not like he does ugly work. Sure. So, you know, if you picked it up for the art, sure, you probably got your money's worth. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Bless you. I actually thought I was putting myself on mute there, but I clearly didn't. <laughs> you totally, not at all. It was like, well, it's good because I was trying to figure out what the pivot was. And the uh, reaction, uh, his, his, the, did the comic news world go meh except I, for I the... Not, yeah, I've not really seen much excitement. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there has been, mm-hmm. and I've not seen it. But I haven't seen much excitement. Marvel fucked themselves by revealing Wolverine two days ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then revealing Valeria the next day. Like, they gave away the two big reveals of the comic before the comic was out. Yeah, the quick, well, and... Weird. Yeah. Because they gave both of them to comicbook.com. And I, I sent this on Twitter and then, uh, James Viscardi from comicbook.com was like, hey, but, like, if you're giving it to comicbook.com, it's not even like you're giving it to a mainstream news outlet. Right. No. You're not reaching any new audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so why do that? You're literally giving away to people who will be buying the comic anyway. Right. Well, except unless it, unless their worry was is that they just weren't seeing. They were worried there wasn't going to be any kind of sell through. So there's a little bit of the oh, let's release this page of of Logan coming back, and people will be like, oh shit, Logan's back. I gotta go buy this book. You know. Um, Logan comes back. I shit you not. So the the MacGuffin of the for the thing is, um, Loki and other characters are looking for this this object, which turns out to be an Infinity Gem, which we're now calling Infinity Stones in the comics as well, by the way. Of course, because of course we are. Um, but uh, they're they're looking for this this power source, and the the Frost Giants get it. Loki, Loki's teamed up with Frost Giants and Frost Giants gets it. And one of them has it. And he then gets, like, run over by a truck, which is run by, which is driven by Wolverine. <laughs> and he gets out and he's like, haha, got it. <laughs> wow. That's, I mean, what the funny part is, is that kind of has just sort of the light tone of, of piss up that, that does sound like Jason Aaron in some ways, but. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, that's it. I, I'm playing it more for laughs than the comic does. Mm-hmm. Oh, god! Like Wolverine literally gets out and he's and they're like, "What? They're like, what do you want?" And like he uses his claws to kill, make sure the guy's dead. Mm. You know, so like there's, it's not just uh you know, uh what, what, what? It's like, oh my god, who could this be? He's got claws. It's Wolverine. <laughs> Except it's, it's Logan. Marvel right. has made a great effort to make sure he's called Logan in interviews and not Wolverine because they're clearly keeping Laura as Wolverine. Mm. So now I think we're going to have Logan, Old Man Logan, and Wolverine. And Jimmy Hudson. Who can forget Jimmy Hudson? Right. Well, is that Dakin or there's another Wolverine? No, no, there's also Dakin, but, like, who remembers Dakin? Actually, Dakin was an all-new Wolverine lately. Everyone remembers Dakin. Exactly. Um, Yeah, no, Jimmy Hudson is the ultimate Wolverine who is now part of X-Men Gold. Or X-Men Blue, whichever one is the young one. Hmm. Yeah, because they brought another Wolverine in. Who's the Wolverine from the Ultimate Universe? Yeah, Jimmy Hudson. <laughs> that somehow was hilarious. Yeah, you know, Jimmy Hudson. I'm like, sorry, sorry, I didn't, I didn't believe me. I don't think I would be shocked if I. I think Jimmy I, Hudson, created by Jeff Loeb, Jeff. Oh, that's why. Okay, all right. That's really why I don't know because I don't think. Remember that one issue of Ultimate X Men where like Wolverine's like, "Ha ha! I threw Cyclops down a well. Now to have anal." And it was just like, um, it was terrible. And it was I, after that, it was like, 
Right, what's crazy? You say that, and I'm like, that's got to be a Mark Miller issue, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a Miller issue, and I was, I, he, it's the whole thing. If it's, it's like after that, I was like, ugh, forget it. No, well, actually, it, I say in that case, that. you missed you missed Ultimatum, which is when Jeff Loeb took over the books. Oh yeah, and had like the most ridiculous, you know, uh, like disaster movie type miniseries yeah. that included the death of Wolverine. Yeah. Oh, uh, I missed in that. that. And then when he took over the X-Men, Ultimate X-Men book after that, he clearly was like, oh shit, I've killed off Wolverine. I know, I'll introduce Wolverine's illegitimate teenage son, who's just like Wolverine, but he's called Jimmy Hudson. Do you get it, Alpha Flight fans? <laughs> yeah. Wow. All I'm saying is, why aren't you wasting your time reading this on Marvel Unlimited? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. Well, because I remember reading that first issue of Ultimatum, which was a genuinely repellent piece of work, right? That's... Oh, it gets worse. Right. It genuinely gets worse. Ultimatum is appalling. And and appalling in a way that you read it now and you're like, I can't believe this actually got published. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've, I felt that way about the first issue, so I can only imagine if it got worse from there. Well, you know that, like, midway through, you have the blob eating the wasp, right? Yeah, I, th- I thought that was... I what, wanted... is that first issue? I thought that was, like, the finale of the first issue or something. Oh, I thought, like that. That, I thought that was issue three, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I could totally be wrong as well. I mean, that's... Thank God for the internet. People are like, oh, did you read this piece of shit? I feel, I feel like that, now that I think about it, I'm like, that should be the name of like half the comic tumblers out there. Ugh, did you read this piece of shit? And then it's like with pictures from like Ultimatum. And it's like, oh, you guys. Now now you've made me want to do pivoting. Um, did you see Mark Wade's call for positivity on the comics internet? Uh, maybe, maybe, I think I... So, so we, like, we've not done a proper weight walk for a while. It feels like we've not done it for about a month, all told, because we had weeks off, we had Baxter building. Right. Um, and in that time, the idea of, of, uh, harassment in comic, on the online comics community has, has raised its ugly head again. Right. And it's done so in a couple of ways. It's done so in the comic creators harassing critics way mm-hmm. and also fans harassing creators way. Right. There's a Twitter account called, I think it's called Diversity in Comics. I could be wrong, which is, I mean, a, trolling sounds like it's, it's, it's too comedic for its purpose. Right. Like it's literally an account that exists to harass creators. Um, and, it's it's been going after it's been going after many people actually it's been going after established pros and new new pros as well. Right. But because of the way that you know comics have thank God been evolving, a lot of those new pros pros are are uh, people of color mm-hmm. or trans people or right. queer people or 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 females or right. or women. Right. I said females. I hate doing that. I always feel like a fucking quark when I yeah, never mind. Um, <laughs> So as part of this, Mark Wade sort of was like, I'm going to talk to the man behind this Twitter account at, I think, Baltimore Comic Con or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that conversation apparently occurred and was really unproductive. Right. <laughs> like, he, he Wade's actually come out and said, like, we both agreed that it was an incredibly unproductive conversation and that's all I'm going to say about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he came out afterwards and, and basically 
uh, made a, a Facebook post, a long Facebook post, which said in part, one of the ways that we should combat this beyond simply not standing for harassment, like calling it harassment when it happens, mm-hmm. is that the comics internet should be more positive. Mm-hmm. There should be more positivity. People should talk about what they like. People should talk about creators they like. People should not talk about what they hate. Oh, God. People should not focus on what they dislike. Uh, and it's funny because, you know, when you were like, it should be, Tumblr is called, Can, if you read this piece of shit, and I was like, oh, that's the sort of thing that wouldn't exist in Mark Wade's perfect comics internet. Right. But this, this idea comes up a lot. And, and increasingly, uh, on, on sort of a regular basis mm-hmm. that the comics internet would be better if people only were positive first of all that's bullshit right. that's just not true right. there is a lot of benefits to criticism yes there's a lot of benefits to uh i was gonna say calling out bad comics or bad work and that's not I, when i say calling out i don't mean calling out the creators mm-hmm. i mean uh, expecting more of you, of what you're reading and, and talking about when it doesn't reach up to it, when it doesn't meet your, your demands mm-hmm. and do so in, in a measured way. I mean, a, sure, a comedic way, fine, uh, uh, an emotional way, whatever, but a way that is not just literally, this is shit. Mm-hmm. That, that's completely unproductive. Right. But if you can do, if you can address the work beyond that, if you can say, this is why it disappointed me, mm-hmm. this is why it's doing what I wanted, this is what I wanted is also something valuable to put out there that matters. Um, I think, I genuinely think there's value in that. And I think there's value for everyone involved. Uh, I, to, before I get off my soapbox, I think that creators have become so, uh, enamored of the position that there's no such thing as good criticism mm-hmm. which is again bullshit like, right astoundingly untrue yeah uh but a lot of creators just are blinkered to any criticism mm-hmm. because there is such trolling criticism out there there is there is a lot of bullshit criticism mm-hmm. uh, but anyway what i was going to say is one of the things that this this call for positivity reminded me of, and actually I was listening to an interview with Heidi McDonald, where she she kind of said this, but didn't actually realize she was saying it, is, do we need something like the Warren Ellis Forum again? By which I don't mean that cult of personality. Mm-hmm. But the Ellis Forum was, to a large part, talking up work. Uh, and, 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 uh, putting a focus that otherwise wouldn't have been there on, on good projects. Mm-hmm. Like, I think something like Scott Pilgrim wouldn't have been able to get the purchase it got in, in pop culture if there wasn't the Ellis Forum talking it up initially. Mm-hmm. And, and thinking about today, like Kyle Stark's work, I think would be a benefit of that sort of space. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Do we need something like that now? Uh, I don't know. I mean, yes. I mean, cause I think, I think what's, what's interesting is, is that there, there is the idea that, um, well, I don't know. My brain's, my brain's all over the map, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll start, I'll start with tackling the most, uh, you know, 
what you've got put out right in front of me. I think, I think having a place for positivity, uh, is good. I think that honestly, and this is, maybe this is just me, I don't visit more than like, you know, I think two sites and I'm on comics Twitter. And for the most part, A, I think that, uh, most of the sites that I look at, like, I think Comics Beat is more positive than not. I think, I think Bleeding Cool, for the most part, is mostly positive about the comics, you know, and, uh, I, I feel like on Comics Twitter, I, the people that I follow on Twitter, there's usually, uh, like, oh, so and so is great, but who knows, maybe it's just so diffuse, cause to me, like, I'm like, Kyle Starks, he's huge. He's, I, my God, you know, cause of course I'm buying every issue of Rock Candy Mountain. I'm basically, I, I haven't picked up the Rick and Morty stuff just cause it's kind of not my jam, but I've. Yeah, like, Rick and Morty is your thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I've, I, although I, I have actually sort of started watching the cartoon and, and enjoying it. Um, but I don't. I mean, I've been following his stuff since I, since a bunch of people are like, yeah, you gotta, you know, chip in for, I was on the Kickstarter for Sex Castle. And so Kill Them All, which I think came out this week, um, or maybe it's yeah. next week. No, is, no, it's this week. It was, yeah, week. is this week was a book that, that I also, you know, did the Kickstarter for. And so read it like last year and, and liked it okay. And then Rock Candy Mountain, I think is fabulous, but looking at like, say the image, you know, uh, listings, uh, um, sales listings over at the beat. I'm like, oh, I don't even think it charted in the top 300. So part of me is like, I mean, you can, it, it's possible that there's a, if you build that spot, people will come to it and they will. I mean, that's the, the irony of a cult of personality is, is that, you know, people show up to try showed up to try and there were a lot of people who were like I'm here to kind of schmooze with Ellis and what ended up happening was there were enough interesting and talented people there that you know have, are now a lot of the the you know most popular types of you know ended up in the industry and then there were the people who were actually just kind of low key lurky types who then also ended up in the industry um but I I feel like part of me is part of me is like, yeah, unless you've got someone who's really committed to playing that role, which Ellis did for a surprisingly long time, I don't know if it's if it's sticky enough on its own, you know what I mean? And there's also the thing that I think Ellis really did quite well was he, he, he had his, he had moderators in place and he had standards that were enforced. And that also really helped. Cause I don't know if, you know, I mean, arguably, I think a lot of people would say like, oh, my comment threads on my articles are designed to be a place where people can talk. And it's just that people don't choose to be positive. And I think that's the thing. Sometimes I feel like the difference and God, I really hate saying this particular thing, but, but I'm not sure if even the Ellis Forum could have actually existed post 9-11, you know? Like, I sort of feel like there... But it did, didn't it? Did it? I'm sure it probably did. It probably went on through 2000-something or other, but, um, you know... I, I I don't know when did it fold up two thousand four two thousand five yeah I, I'm actually seeing if I can I can find that now 
because I, uh, oh shit, does it actually still exist? 2002. Okay. Well, I'm not sure it lasted. And then there was, then there was the engine. Yes. Do you remember the engine? I do remember the engine. Because the engine was after, right? And and it was essentially the Ellis Forum. It was the Ellis Forum, but it was also the Ellis Forum very much, uh, with Ellis kind of doing the, I felt like the, the bulk of the engine, not that I looked that often, was kind of signal boosting for people and their projects and things like that, you know? Yeah, it's funny. I can't find any information about. Oh no, the L. Okay, the engine started two thousand five. Mm-hmm. But I can't find any like I can't find any information about how how long it lasted. I feel like it didn't last long. It it well not compared to to the Ellis Forum. That's for sure. Did, how how long did the the WEF last? Uh, let's see. Because I wish you'd said that when I was actually still on the page, because it gave dates. Um, May nineteen ninety eight to October two thousand two. Oh, really? Only four years. Okay. Or and what? What's great is you have the the um, the blurb for Warren Ellis for when it closed, mm-hmm. and it's, it's just funny looking back at it now. Mm-hmm. Warren Ellis, author of thirty odd graphic novels, hundreds of single comics in print and six languages, currently writing his first novel for HarperCollins. Oh wow. In other media, he's written the PC games Hostile Waters and Cold Winter, the screenplay Mind Bridge on commission from animator Blur Studio, an episode of the Justice League Unlimited cartoon, I forgot about that, created the book of short stories and photography Available Light, and the collection of comics journalism Come In Alone, both published by AIT Planet Lar, mm-hmm. and its low frequency has been purchased as a TV pilot by the WB. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Ford still exists, Jeff. Wait, what still that, exists? The forum still exists. What? Really? Yeah. Oh wait, look, there's there's posts from two thousand three. So clearly it they came back. Oh really? Oh no no no. Remember he opened it up for one day. Remember? Did he? Yeah, oh, he did that at I, least I, once. This is this is a terrible like this is bad that I found this because it's still got like all the comics retailer posts. Oh man. Oh, it's Dude, a treasure oh, trove. Oh my really god. Oh my god. Yeah. Anyway. Let's <laughs> yeah, stop me from going down this particular. I, I, I'm like, before. everyone, if you want to know what Graham's going to be posting screenshots of on the wait what Tumblr. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I kind of feel like the divisiveness, like, I'll be honest, Graham McMillan, I feel like this week, I, I had, I, I feel like, you know, some, sometimes, and it's a shame, cause I feel like if we'd recorded two weeks ago, which we didn't, I would have been like, oh, like, hey, 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 comics, woo! And this week I'm sort of like, yeah, I don't, like, I don't know about the human race, you know, I just kinda, <laughs> I kinda wow. don't know. Well, no, I really kinda had this thing of like, um, you know, here now, we now, are. You say that because of what's been happening with the human race, or because of comics. Well, you know what it is? It's this weird thing of like, admittedly, I, I'm, I'm a gullible chump in lots of ways, but, you know, I, I find myself kind of thinking like, but here we, here we are, everyone, we're so surrounded, saturated in like stories, you know, whether it's TV, movies, you know, stories on podcasts, comics, just, just wrapped in it. And I, and I used to think that the whole idea that, that the advantage to all of that, you know, the, 
uh, flights of imagination and what have you, that that it was all about the that it could help you create empathy. The the idea that literature and this is something that I I feel like, um, you know, I, I think David Foster Wallace ended up summing up in a, in an essay where he talked about the idea of of literature is to to of art is to make you not feel so alone, you know, and. And so there's part of me that's kind of like at a time where I feel like I've probably read more comics and stories and things now that by the time that I'm 50 than, you know, people prior to, I don't know, the 20th century, like the majority of them barely got exposed to, you know, over the course of, of their entire life, you know, and, uh, the irony being, of course, for people prior to the 20th century, 50 would be towards the end of their entire life. Well, yeah, exactly. If they live that long. I live super long and I feel like I drank, you know, quaffed from, from the, the fountain of, of fiction. And I, and I just feel like, well, maybe it didn't, maybe it doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe it didn't take. Yeah. Like maybe all the shit that we think that fiction does or that we say that it does is, of course, stuff that's crafted by people who want you to, you know, drink their snake oil, you know, and it's just. Well, OK, but but to to are you saying this because of what's happening in the world? Yeah, I think I think I'm saying it because of what's happening in the world, but also just well, okay, separate that. Are you saying it because of what's happening to you? Like, are you are you putting forward the theory that you yourself do not have the empathy that you would want for yourself, having read all these stories, or are you saying I have read this many these many stories, and I believe other people have as well, and they have not developed these this empathy? Yeah, I, I would I would say that that. As it seems like at this particular point in the world, looking through, looking particularly at the lens of America over the last couple of months, I feel like there's a weird lack of empathy just overall. Like, I don't know, I was reading something on Twitter and it was somebody that I usually side with and they were making some sort of comment that that was pretty snarky. Um, oh, you know, I'll be honest. I'll be, I think part of it to, to kind of like, I've been reading some of the tweets of, of Scott Weinberg, right? And Scott Weinberg is this guy who's a film critic who's apparently written for Nerdist and a whole bunch of other places. And he's been getting a lot of retweets lately because he has been talking about what a repellent, repugnant human being he, he thought Harry Knowles was starting from like two years ago. Yes. Right? Yes. So there's yeah. a there's a lot there's a lot of easy dunking on Harry Knowles that I think for the most part based on um, based on the idea that he is uh, you know sexually harassed women in the Austin Texas film scene or just the the film scene generally because he had that sort of power and reach and he was protected by you know this kind of toxic boys network is is you know repellent but then weinberg who kind of breaks it down with like oh look at this horrible writing and look look how constantly obsessed that he is with like you know sex and look look how gross he is and and admittedly there's a lot of stuff that is kind of gross but but at the same time i also had that moment of like you know i wonder if every bully thinks that they're punching up you know what I mean? Like, there's just that idea of like, I mean, I mean, 
definitely, I think, I, you know, because people are like, oh, check out his review to like Charlie's Angels. And part of me is like, Charlie's Angels was like a long time ago. And don't get me wrong, the, the. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, but people, people have been holding these grudges for a long time. Jeff. Well, and I think that's kind of it. Is is like, all of a sudden everyone's out with the torches, which part of me is like, okay, like, I don't know. I, for the most part, I feel like in the past, I've always been super, uh, on the side of the self-righteous and you've been a little more, uh, hand-wringy about the kind of mob mentality that, that can spring up on, on social media. And I think just using the phrase mob mentality is so incredibly loaded that I'm like, ugh, probably not the right way to phrase it for, you know, for myself. But, but I just find myself thinking like, some variation of, of Wade's like, oh, we should all be positive. Like, I can't go with that. I really, because of a variety of factors. I mean, but I do. It's, yeah, you're, yeah. You're bringing up, like, you're bringing up a lot of things. That I'm like, Jeff, I want to respond to this. One, the first of which is, uh, I was listening to, um, the Lo- Love It or Leave It podcast earlier today, uh-huh. uh, which is, a uh, uh, one of the Pod Save America crooked media podcasts. And they're talking to Mark Moran. Mm-hmm. And he has this great line where he was like, when Bush was president, everything was shitty. But I thought to myself, but the majority of Americans are good people. And then he, there's a beat and he goes, I think I had the math wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a funny joke, but also like, it feels right, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Right. Right. You know, you're like, yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way too these days. Mm-hmm. Um it's funny when you're bringing up Scott Weinberg and, and, and Harry Knowles because I, you're, I think you're right. I think a lot of people were like, okay, we can pile, on, like we have an excuse to pile on now. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is great. I've disliked this guy for a long time and let me just share like my dislike for him. Yeah. And it's, I feel like, I feel like we've seen a lot of this, not so much in comics lately, but definitely in film. Mm-hmm. Um, like Devin Viracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Joss Whedon. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a lot of like, oh, this guy's been confirmed to be a shit. Let me now share you share with you my jokes about him being a shit. Yeah, and my glee at the fact that he's a shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's. And I'm not making excuses for any of these people's behavior. Yeah, but well, right. There's, it seems it feels to me that the glee is divorced from the circumstance of what's actually happening. Yeah, I, in in all of these cases, and it's like, oh, I can score points now, right? As I can, opposed to actually addressing what's actually happening. Well, or there, you know, like yeah, well, like uh, Pharisee and Knowles in particular, mm-hmm. I feel like it's taken an awful lot of. He's an abuser. He, he's, uh, you know, he, he's done, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a, a way to sort of, uh, separate the, this man is abusive on a personal level and this man is a bad writer. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't matter if he wrote a shitty review. Right. Just it, like he could be the best writer in the world. That wouldn't change what he had done. Absolutely. To people. Like right. to actual real people. Right. You know? And it's, it's, there's this weird thing of like, when I, you know, when I'm talking about the glee in these things, or with Sweden for that matter, it doesn't matter if you like his films or don't like his films, mm-hmm. or like his TV shows or not like his TV shows. It doesn't change what he's actually done. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be this 
weird conflation of I've never liked this person's work, so let me put the boot in now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's actually happening? Well, you know, I- and instead it seems to be a, a this is great that this person has been revealed to be a shit. Right. Because I've never liked them anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, and, and I think at the core of that, there's kind of this thing of like, ah, it, you, sort of like, I'm choose, you know, A, I'm choosing to be self-righteous over being em- empathetic, I suppose, you know, and, and part of me is well, like, it's easier. what's that? <laughs> it's easier to be self-righteous over being empathetic. Well, being self-righteous is fun. Being empathetic is really yeah. dull. You know what I mean? Like, no, for me, so. there's a it's lot It's hard of... to be empathetic. Like, well, it right. genuinely is. Exactly. When someone has done something terrible. Right. Like, Farsi, I, like, Devin Farsi came for me when I was at IO9. Mm-hmm. Because he loved Watchmen, and I did not like the, the movie. Right. And I did not, I was like, I don't think this is going to be a good film. I don't think this should be a film. I think this is a disaster. And he, like, came for me. Mm-hmm. And, and did for a long time after that. Really? Wow. Yeah. And so I should theoretically be like, hey, I always knew he was a shit. And like, I met him after that and did not get on with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, like, when he's, when he talks about like, you know, I'm now in, in AA mm-hmm. and, you know, I, 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 like, he's clearly gone through shit and that doesn't excuse what he did, but it also means there's more to it than just him being a dick. Well, yeah, there's more, of course, there is more to it than, which is, which again sort of is the kind of, as people sort of wring their hands about, um, you know, whether or not it's okay to punch Nazis. The, the whole horrible thing with the situation is, is I'm like, it's, it's too late. You know what I mean? And that's the part that really bothers me is, is I, my conclusion was A, it's, Empathy is not much of an option anymore. It it kind of is in the sense of it's a discretionary thing, but I really do think that that it's ridiculous to like extend empathy to people who are sitting there talking um about you know genocide or who are talking as if people because they belong to a different race are inherently inferior and stuff that is just terrible. You know what I mean? And I think there's a little sure. bit of that, you know, that, that is my problem is, is I'm like, Oh shit, I need to get in the old emotional time machine and go back four or five years and see if we, and again, I think that's part of my thing with nine 11 is I feel like after nine 11, you've got a bunch of people who were like, super obstructionist who started shouting down people at any possible opportunity. Who knows? Probably rolls back to the fucking um, uh, 2000 election, you know, with like those people yelling and shouting at, 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 you know, the people carrying the, the boxes of ballots or whatever, you know, assholes who were like chaining the door and acting like they were, you know, self-righteous Americans when later it turns out that they were, you know, paid political stooges. I, I just, there's, there was some fundamental souring in the discourse. And now I'm at this stage of like, yeah, you, you can't, I, I do basically believe, yeah, you, you gotta, 
you got to punch Nazis, you know? I think we're kind of at that stage. I think the stage of, you know, it, 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 there's well, a, there's I, a stage I, like with kids, you know, there's a stage where you have to tell kids like, no, you can't do this. You got to lay down your rules. You got to be very strict and you've got to kind of basically follow through. And if you don't do that and people get out of control, then it's kind of like, okay, I, basically for me, I'm like, I don't think that you should have like spank a child because I think you should be a better parent than that. But, but if you, if things have gotten out of control and there was shit that you did not do right because it's not like you ever came with anyone gets a fucking parenting handbook, maybe the spankings will take care of things. I definitely know for myself that weird thing of like, yeah, I definitely had the parts of me, young me, that was a selfish turd that if it had been allowed to run rampant would have if, you know, I hadn't gotten, you know my ass paddled red on at least a couple of occasions, you know? And, and I, it's weird that I'm like, yes, being beat really gave me a sense of empathy, but I do feel that there's some sort of, I feel like we're at this unfortunate stage where for me, I'm just kind of shaking my head sadly and being like, you know what? Fiction didn't work. Movies didn't work. All the delight that we rolled ourselves in is kind of not really important or relevant and I and, and that's just a huge massive smeary generalization I'm sure there's people who for the in, in their specifics and their particulars of their life you know are like no this really did open my eyes to this or that experience and I don't and it caused me to swerve but I think for the most of it a lot of us are kind of like those cars at Mr. Toad's Wild Ride we're just on tracks you know so I am, uh, I, I feel you're conflating lots of things. Oh, tons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the Jeff Lester. <laughs> no, but it's, it's funny. Cause, but, no, but it's funny. Cause like, I'm like, I agree that empathy towards Nazis is pointless. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it reminds me of the, did you see the person who had the, the great, I can't remember who this is sadly, uh, who had the best joke on Twitter this week. I, I'm sure I did uh, not see it. What do you, what do you call a lot of Nazis all standing in a row? What? A punchline. <laughs> I love that joke. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I think you can be empathetic towards other people who, for example, aren't uh, demanding genocide. Like, I think there's degrees of these things. I think, for me, I still think it's important to try and look for, for maybe not common grounds, but something that some form of, or some beginning of empathy with people you disagree with on certain things. Again, Nazis, no. But as uh, someone who is politically to the right of me mm-hmm. and is not at the point of like you know Nazis, sure. Well, like I think having a, I think having a conversation there is good. I think having empathy with them is good. Uh, I think having empathy with with uh, Harry Knowles is good. Mm-hmm. Like as much as I. I think he's a terrible human being and he's done terrible things with Devin Farsi. I think he's a terrible human being and he's done terrible things. You know, I, I think having some level of empathy is good and doing something to humanize them and not just turn them into an other. Because I think when you turn people into other, you are, um, you're creating some sort of weird barrier that allows you to, 
uh, absolve yourself of potential mm-hmm. uh, similarities. And well, I think I think that's I think that's a slippery slope and and quote unquote bad. Well, um, but also I before you interrupt. Yes, Jen, I know. Uh, I'm so sorry. I think that I I think I disagree with you that stories didn't work. I think because stories didn't do everything and because stories didn't work with a certain audience doesn't mean that stories don't work. Do you know what I mean? I, I think that there's, I think there's, there's degrees there. I don't think it's a binary. Either they did and we're living in utopia or they didn't. <laughs> right. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. and I, I feel, I feel like, so like, I feel like you're, you're, you're sort of going immediately to worst case scenario i'm making all these hand gestures which nobody not even you can see um but but i do i think you're like you're you're jumping to a worst case scenario with all of this and putting all these different things together to come up with this this misanthropic um worldview well that me Mm -hmm. a dumb optimist Mm mm-hmm like it is just like no, it's not that bad, Jeff. Hey, yeah, but we'll see. And this, this is, I think, okay. So my two points, if I can split them out properly, uh, one is that I would say that that, like you said, the othering process. My big caveat about that, my big worry about that, is is this is the classic problem with white privilege. I mean, and the way that it sort of extends is is that. People in a position of of privilege, uh, and I was going to say extreme privilege, but let's start with privilege, who are used to thinking that the world is sort of about them, uh, have a tendency, I think, to view any criticism as othering, you know? And that weird line of like, I'm not othering you i'm just telling you that that comic seemed uh like it was created under cynical conditions you know is for that's- other people this the again it's that idea of like the criticism is for for a certain stripe of of creator this form of attack you know and the idea that somehow saying like I feel reading Ultimatum that Jeff Loeb was cynically creating a piece of crap comic that he thought would sell sell based on his misunderstanding or perhaps his his too cynical understanding of what Mark Miller comics are doing. You know, that being lumped into the grounds of Mark Wade's like that is too personal. You can't ever say that a comic's created cynically because you don't know what's going on in the heart of the creator when they create it is, um, you know, but sort of on the one hand, both instructive, but also frustrating. Cause the fact is, well, it's, it's, it's ultimately intellectually dishonest. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I think that it is, which the, the criticism of the criticism, I, I think so. Yeah, your your positioning of of Mark Wade saying you can't say that because you don't know the exact circumstances of its creation. Mm-hmm. Like I, I I no I I think that I think that is uh that I I think that's emotion uh like intellectually dishonest. I think that's that's uh a blanket 
um, it's a defense that doesn't even engage in the criticism. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and I but, think. But when I talked about othering, I think I was arguing. I uh, I think I was talking about something else entirely, mm-hmm. which is the. They are not like me. I am absolved of all sins. There is nothing. There is nothing in me like them. Right. And I think that that's for sure to go down. Yeah, I I definitely uh, am with you there. But I mean, Graham. Again, here's here is an industry, and I think I think that someone like uh, like Bertolt Brecht would, you know, who basically said like, you know, whatever whatever it is, like appetites first, moral morals after, you know, uh, which is a horrific paraphrase. But that idea of like, you know, the comics industry is surrounded by stories of heroic individuals who stand up for other people and the world. And it's kind of a toxic swamp, you know, and part of me is like, do the people reading, writing the comics just not read them? Or is it that, that the idea that, that, uh, those stories are just so f- devoid from reality or so rote or serve some other purpose other than the idea of educational and inspirational that, that they do nothing to, um, actually inspire and provoke the responses, uh, that you would hope and instead really just feed into the opposite, this kind of, you know, fuck you, I got mine, Jack, that, that runs from the very top of the publisher pile all the way down to, not all the way down and not, and not all the way through, but certainly is ribboned throughout the industry in ways that is, um, disquieting, you know? Two things come to mind in response to that. Mm-hmm. First of all is, uh, Nick Spencer's response to criticism of Secret Empire. Interesting. Where he, well, he seemed to believe, uh, that Secret Empire was at once, um, interacting with the political environment it was being created in, mm-hmm. but not fitting into that environment. Right, which seems, you know, it's impossible. Which right? seems impossible. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can do both. Mm-hmm. I think either it's engaging with or it isn't engaging with. Mm hmm. Uh, and again, you get back to me making claims of intellectual dishonesty, <laughs> but right. I think I think Spencer really was trying to have a ways in a way that you're like, well, that's so inconsistent, you can't believe both. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you, you actually can't really think that it does both things because that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, Except, that makes me feel- isn't that exactly more or less what you're saying when you're talking about the the othering or that sort of self righteousness in a way? Isn't isn't Spencer, in a way, sort of in well, place Spencer, of him very, and being Spencer in the thing, very much was like the, I can't be feeding the alt right uh, sentiment with this because I personally am not do not believe that. Right. Like he 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 really was like creating a firewall in his mind, or at least the way he portrayed his his argument. Mm-hmm. There is no way the Secret Empire and Captain America being a Nazi could uh, be read as supportive of that ideology mm-hmm. because he knew the end of that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the end of that story saw Cap come back and beat the Nazis' ass. Right. 
you know um which i but again that 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 that's that doesn't make sense like there's there's so many flaws in that theory mm-hmm. you know from good for you you know the end of the story no one else does you're the one telling the fucking story right and to i've read the end of secret empire that's not what happened mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and like there's there's like there's so many flaws in that argument mm-hmm. but that's the argument he would be presenting and he like he did present mm-hmm. um the other thing it reminds me of is, and I don't know if you saw this because I don't know how much you've been on the comics internet this week. Vox Day of Sad Puppies fame has launched a. It's not called Kickstarter. It's the alt right version of Kickstarter. I think it's yeah. called Freestarter. <laughs> um, for a comic called Alt Hero, because he's complaining that like comics have been taken over by the liberals, right? And he's going to reclaim comics, and it like it looks like a stunning piece of shit. And what is hilarious and deeply frustrating for me is the number of people who have fallen for this and are talking about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm being like, look at this art. I can't believe this looks terrible. As opposed to ignore the fucking dude, right? right. Like he's going to fund this fucking comic because there's enough people out there, but just don't talk about it. Like just let it let it fade into insignificance. Well, and, and and I think this is sort of the the way in which we've you know fallen into the troll trap. You know, so many years down the line is is that the idea of of the troll where it's like if they get a response from you, they win. Um, you know, it's it's one thing when that plays out in the in the world of a forum where I guess people know each other or people know the community and, and more or less people realize the troll, the trolls place in the community, I suppose for, for lack of a better term, as opposed to when trolling starts taking place at a, you know, something close to a global stage, you know, or even in the realm of the comics world where you're just like, where you want to say like ignore that person they're a troll and you're like but you know this is where it comes back on me it's like but i already got like 437 likes on my post on the hey look at this piece of shit tumblr you know so it's like ah because i agree i think there is a little bit of the if you just just fucking ignore them but the weird part is is there's lots of ways in which those people of course like you said their comics going to get funded and the sad part that's frustrating is is that it can be very easy for the you know republican right the republican you know fox news to pick it up being like you know a brave new comics publisher is trying to defy what it says are the legion of you know social justice warriors and publish a comic that returns to the classic values of an american hero you know and i it's yeah but but for me like for me alt hero his comic is going to exist within its own ecosystem and it's up to us whether we promote it outside that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And Fox is part of that ecosystem. Breitbart's part of that ecosystem. Right. Well, you yeah, know, but it's a very big part of the ecosystem that unfortunately people believe or pretend or refuse to flat out say is not part of the larger. But, but, but you know? what is gained from us going, haha, that comic looks terrible, other than feeding into Vox Day's 
worldview that he is going to be criticized for having an alternate worldview as opposed to his comic being terrible. Because he won't lit- listen to valid criticism. Well, He'll just see, like, the liberals trying to keep him down. If we just literally don't engage in his fucking comic see, at all. But isn't that kind of the, like, don't, you know, just ignore the Nazis, don't punch the Nazis and they'll go away? <sighs> See, it's very different for me because, like, Nazis are literally trying to kill people as opposed to a dumb comic. Well, yeah, but this dumb comic with its, like, quote-unquote traditional values is actually shitting on people who are, you know, being oppressed, you know, and is trying to get out there. Like, like on the one hand, there is, for most demagogues, uh, a, you know, a streak of self-enrichment. In it, like I don't, I don't think that you know Bill O'Reilly really gives a shit. You know, he just wants to fucking be rich. You know, and I think, I think there's, there's a lot of people out there in in the world who are who are like that. And I, it, but, but I mean, ultimately, separate and aside from it, I don't know that you know when when the alt hero guy who I did see some like fucking obnoxious, stupid tweet where he's talking about like, I don't know, like oh, you know. A, Jack Kirby would never, you know, like I, he would work for, he would draw for Alt Hero because the social justice warriors at Marvel and DC would never hire him. And it was like, what are, what are you talking about, you idiot? And then he moves on to like, uh, you know, oh, look at how, you know, Kirby drew women and look how they're drawn in Alt Hero. Like, we're so much better. Like you said, there's, there's a little bit of trolling, but the trolling is also, cause trolls realize you gotta bait the hook and the hook is actually being baited with people who are being oppressed, you know what I mean? And part of me is like, was it really such a good idea to to more or less just ig- ignore the trolls until they showed up with like tiki torches and started running around talking about how, you know, the you know, the Jews have taken over the world or or should we have like basically, you know, as as Ellis did back on the WEF, like fucking banned their asses back then. You know, and they would have been like, oh, oh, this is not okay. As opposed to like everyone being like, oh, this is, this is okay. Yeah, there's a few precious snowflakes that bug me, but like everyone is being so silent with their approval that I can tell that I'm actually doing something that's, that's really good and helpful. And then six or seven years down the road, they're like, uh, nobody told me that I was a shitbag. That's kind of on you people, and you never did, so I figured I was okay. Sorry if you're facing down barrel after barrel of completely poorly constructed straw man arguments, Graham. Well, I get, I, uh, I, I just, like, I have so many things in response. Part of it is, I only have so much, um, energy, and I would rather fight the actual legitimate Nazis who are trying to uh, do more than like publish a comic, if that makes sense. But those guys don't like, come out of the Nazi clone tank, right? No, I know, but at the same time, uh, you're right. You are ultimately right. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's an inconsistency between uh, I think if you follow the Warren Ellis just ban them theory, then are you not doing exactly the same thing as I was saying, which is essentially let them exist in their own ecosystem and don't promote them outside? Uh, like that, that 
consistent to me, but right. but I could be wrong. No, no, I no, no, no. I see what your point is. Yeah. You were expressing your disagreement with them. You expressed disapproval. Yes. I see what I see what you're saying there. Um, but also, they're looking for the disapproval. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like if it's not like if. Uh, like Foxy comes up to me, he's like, "I'm doing all hero. What do you think?" And I'm like, "Well, this is terrible." And here's why it's terrible. He's going to go away and think again, right? You know, he wants that response. Mm-hmm. Like there, there, it's a, there's a no win mm-hmm. here because if you express his approval, that's what he wants, mm-hmm. and if you. You know, if, if you, according to you, if you don't engage at all, that's also what he wants because he reads it as tacit, uh, tacit approval. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, again, my Every, problem... Everything, everything's yeah. a win for D- him. Sure. No, I know. And I think that's that's why we're kind of staring down the barrel of, like, this stuff, In like I said, it doesn't come out of the cloning tanks. Part of my, part of my severe remorse and frustration is the... Yeah, the, I should have been less fucking complacent back in 2001, 2002, 2003. You know, now that it's like 2017 and, you know, 14 years later. And, and when I say complacent, I mean on both sides of the fence. I feel like the whole point about, you know, appetite first and morals later, there's a huge chunk of America that is kind of fucked where economies got failed or betrayed. Yeah. There's, there's a huge part of America that didn't see any recovery from 2007. Yeah. Right. And, and literally has seen, has seen no improvement. Yeah. And, and their conclusion unsurprisingly makes it very easy for them to buy into the idea of you know the coastal leftist hedonistic you know um, bastards have abandoned them because we did you know I mean we didn't entirely but you know in the sense of we didn't challenge the system that allowed that sort of misery to, to not just appear, but then to rot and grow, you know, and ferment. And I, and, and that's kind of the, 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 the yield that we're dealing with now. And we're seeing. Sure. I, I, when you're dealing with that and you, someone comes along and says, I'm going to drain the swamp. Right. You know, that, of course that's going to sell. Yeah. Because absolutely. someone is literally saying, you have been shadow on. These people don't care. I will get rid of those people, and I will care. Right, and I, you can see why that sells. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, absolutely. Right, exactly. That I'm sold by like sold a amazingly cynically, mm-hmm. and b by someone who clearly was never going to follow through on their promise. Right, exactly. it's almost beside the point. Yeah, you know because and this is something that many people said, and and I understand why there is especially today, such anger with the we must understand the Trump voters argument. Mm-hmm. But 
you've again getting back to empathy you kind of have to understand the Trump voters. Right. Well, which which brings me back to uh, something that, uh, reading something that some community organizer said, like, I don't know, like, you know, two, three years ago, where they were like, when we were raised back in like the 60s and 70s about community organizing, the idea that you would talk to the person who you want to change from without trying to understand them and without trying to understand their point of view is, um, you know, foreign to us. Like there's no way to, if you don't have empathy, you can't build a bridge. You can't understand how to interact with that person, you know? And yeah. Which, which is where I'm still at, to be honest. What, what's that? This is why we, that's where I'm still at, right. to be honest. Well, and my, my worry is, is that yes, sure, on us, on a personal level, like in my day to day life, I don't really have to deal with the effect ramifications of, you know, for the, but, but in the larger sense of like, Jesus, the fucking world, like, and I do think that I, I feel like it might have been tied to the same article, but someone was saying like, yeah, part of the problem is, is that, you know, People who grew up in the shadow of 9-11 grew up in the, and I would actually roll that back, like somewhere like midpoint in the, in the Clinton presidency, there was a point at which the discourse became so antagonistic, you know, and I don't want to do a who started it type of thing, although clearly since I'm talking about the Clinton presidency, I think it's clear, but there is kind of this. I don't want to say who started it, however. Well, no, I'm just saying, like, even as I said that, I'm sure that through the framework, the thing that's hilarious is there's, I, I also feel like that one guy who wrote the last Wait What review who talked about like, oh, they're, they're smart in like, you know, in sad, simple men kind of way who think that you know, whose biggest worry was that Trump was going to get elected and haul all the gay people off the camps. And, you know, like this really weirdly like, uh, Graham and Jeff, I really enjoy their talks, even though they're both cucked snowflakes is, was such a, like, I feel like, oh, great. Now we're finally having that episode that this guy was convinced we'd been having all along and maybe we were. But, and also, I love that it came out of like fucking Marvel Legacy. Well, yeah, exactly. As every as everything bad should. Well, no, 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 no. Because I mean, I like I said, I do find myself kind of sitting there under that realm of because Marvel Legacy, like you said, it's a it's a cynical comic. What it promised, what they literally made the noises about promising leading up to it, and what it actually delivers is there's a gap there, and that gap is not accidental it's not like these are people who are you know oh i you know meant to craft a heartwarming story that was going to be you know an inclusive introduction to to the current state of the marvel universe and an apology for it you know i mean it's it's not like they did that and then oops i mean i guess i did a comic book in which you know starbrand it ghostwriter kills starbrand like i think it's very clear that they were like oh this is what we've been told you people need and we're going to tell you that this is what you're going to get but you're not going to fucking get it because we're fucking marvel and fuck you you know 
like there was that weird quote. Did you see that thing where like, uh, and this this would be great, but you know how Dan Slott on Twitter had like that picture quote from like Alan Moore about like what audiences want and what they need. And like, if they're, you know, like if they knew what they wanted, they wouldn't be in the audience, which I'm just like, Oh God, no. Like, you know, like I, I didn't see that. Oh also, man. What an, what an amazing quote. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing quote. And I mean, it's a, it's, it's not, it's not necessarily a good fit for Alan Moore, although I know where he's getting at because you know, once you realize that Alan Moore is just one of the world's great autodidacts, you're like, oh, yeah, I had, the, I read that issue of Comics Journal as well. I know, I, I know what Gary Groth editorial he's paraphrasing. You know, is the fact that it's I, I'm looking at right now being used the, the, by Dan Slott. Yeah, do you want to read the whole thing then, in case it is a... not the job of the artists to give the audience what the audience wants. If the audience knew what they needed, then they wouldn't be the audience. They would be the artists. It is the job of the artists to give the audience what they need. Yeah. Yeah, not only is it like kind of a clumsily constructed quote. I mean, I know where they're going with that. But the fact that it sort of switches from wants to needs a little too early before he gets to the punchline. But also I'm like... Like, just like, you know what? Honestly, again, Dan Slott as a guy who I think is a human being who, for the most part, I think really does think means well in the universe for the most part. Part of me is like, dude, you're writing Spider-Man. Like, you know, like there's just such a like, you know, and he's like, yes, but I'm giving them the Spider-Man that they need. I'm like, Spider-Man has so very little to do with need. You know, like, there's just a weird, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's just not, that's just not the place where Spider-Man comes from. If, if you really want to give people what, well, you know, what you uh, think they need, like. Yes, I know. Mm-hmm. Like, I, also, again, ultimately agree with you, but I think you'll find lots of people think that there is Spider-Man that they need. Yeah, and I mean, I, I Do you know what I want? Yeah. I, and for that matter, I think those are the people who are probably attacking Dan Slott. Uh, like, yeah. weirdly enough, I think he's 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 using a terrible argument right against the right people. Uh, right. That makes sense. Uh, you know, right. Wait, no. You well, yes, no, because what he's trying to say is like, look, you only think <laughs> that you know what you want with. Spider-Man, but believe me, you're unhappy with what I'm giving you, but what I'm giving you is what you need from Spider-Man. I mean, bear in mind that this is the, the, you know, in the last two weeks, definitely, maybe even the last week, there was the weird thing where, where you had someone, I can't even remember who this was, basically addressing creators saying, you don't own the characters, we own the characters. Right. Right. Which of you course, know, that, yeah, exactly. It's that environment that Slot's making this argument. Right. Right. But how do I put it? It's to me, it's like, it's such a dumb shit counter to it. You know what I mean? Like, cause oh, it is yeah, kind of a shit argument. So, well, well, I mean, that's it. It's like a dumb shit argument to a dumb shit argument. Cause the fact is, is like the audience doesn't fucking own Spider-Man. Like they, pre- you get to pretend that you own Spider-Man by owning an issue of Spider-Man. By getting to go online and yelling about Spider-Man. But I tell you what, Dan Slott does not fucking own Spider-Man either. Steve Ditko, who fucking created Spider-Man, doesn't own fucking Spider-Man. Like, Spider-Man is owned by, you know, uh, 
currently, <laughs> let's let's be generous, a bunch of rich shitheads who basically are like, yeah, I know what the Spider-Man <laughs> brand is in the world, and I'm hiring you guys to basically maintain that brand. And those people, like Dan Slott's a fucking gatekeeper, you know? The whole idea that he's an artist in that sense of things is kind of semi-ludicrous, you know what I mean? Like, because he is an artist, I mean, kind of in the same way that, like, a sixth grader at at their first piano recital is a musician. Like, yeah, it's, you're there, but, you know, you're in an, you're, you're crafting something in an audience. Again, it's this experience on rails. Like, Dan Slott is not going to be like, oh, you know, I, I really realized, like, the Spider-Man story that I need to tell is when he do, does Aunt May in the butt and his finally breaks through of the Oedipal struggles that have chained him ever since the death, you know, the death of uh, Uncle Ben. Like, that was trouble, too. You, you, for, you just... <laughs> It's like, oh, readers, Jeff has clearly never read Brand New Day. Pity him. Pity him. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's there's part of me where it's just like, yeah, that's not like there's a way in which I honestly do believe creating big superhero comic art for the big two is a degree of it takes a lot of craft and you can put degrees of yourself that's in it. That's amazing. Sort of in the same way that someone can embed um an honest element of themselves in like a meal they make and not just by jizzing in the food like I do, but like by actually doing it, you know, like, but, but by the same token, like, you know, a fucking peanut butter sandwich is still a fucking peanut butter sandwich. And when someone comes up to it and is like, I want a peanut butter sandwich. And you're like, sure, here's your peanut butter sandwich. And the person, you know, it's not, it's not like the person walking up to the counter is like, I own peanut butter sandwiches. You cannot turn around. And, you know, it's just, it's, it, I, I feel like we're just in this weird capitalist fight club. I don't want to use fight club. Jesus, I never want to say the words fight club ever again, but there's just some weird, like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, there's just, I just feel like everyone's like scrambling and punching and slugging themselves, each other and themselves in, in my particular case. And, and it's just, it's just comically, it would be comic if it wasn't, if it wasn't so fucking sad, you know, that Mr. like, oh, you know, watch out for us. Like, the fact of the matter is, is that the audience, if the audience does not come for the product, the product has of has a null value. It does nothing. It is inert. I mean, trust me, I should know. I published a book that's available on the Kindle. Uh but <laughs> by the same token yeah. why did you name the book so people curious can go and see if oh, they haven't already? I figure everyone everyone already knows about erotic vampire bank heist. Let me tell you people, it's still there. It's still not really moving up the charts. It is actually sitting on the bottom of the deep, 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 deep ocean that is Amazon's sales charts. But my point... We call that Deep Web, and we're going to try Ooh. and rebrand it into yeah. something that's awesome. Yeah, that's right. People, we're searching on the Deep Web on Deep Amazon. <laughs> erotic Vampire Bank House, yeah. which Jefferson could rename Deep Heist. I should. I totally should. Yeah, I should. <laughs> You'll find your place. <laughs> I, for every time it says vampire, put in a oh shit. What what is hot these days, Jeff? I don't know, Graham. I mean, what clearly, I really don't know. Days. What what are the kids? What are the, the Babadook? Really, really Gay Babadook. 
Erotic. I, I, my, like, erotic I am, I am a 42 year old man. I have no idea. Well, I mean, which arguably is part of the problem. And yet I'm still younger than, um, uh, Dan DiDio and, and some of the people in like DC Comics, of course. So like one could say that's no excuse or, or one could say that's exactly the point. But my point being is, is like, sure, if an audience engages, but I, again, there's a little bit of the, um, and I, in that sense of empathy, I get where they're coming from. There is a little bit of Marvel and DC and everyone has been a little bit of like, shut up and buy your comics. Like, you know, you know, that whole like, you know, you want it anyway. And the idea that people are chained to their hobbies in, in various ways that they then turn around and, and make very impotent sounding threats. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, sure. I got bad news for you. <laughs> People have been doing a pretty good job of leaving comics. Like the, the average seller is like 35,000 copies. You know, like, go ahead. Like, you're just one more person. Like a lot, clearly a lot of people have left before you, hundreds of thousands. But there's also that idea of like, what will bring in comics, uh, could be something that of course the people of the, the members, certain members of the 35,000 are adamant are destroying comics, which is why things are sort of super ludicrous. But, but there's also that idea of like, I feel like part of the reason why everyone's slugging it out in this small room is because the small room is so centered on the big two and superhero comics and, you know, and clearly I'm contributing to the scrum because it's what I tend to read, what I pick up to read for enjoyment. Um, you know, but I also just kind of, but I, you know, you and I don't have that, that level of vitriol, you know, whatever level of whatever we have that's kept us going through several hundred episodes of this. It's not, it's not really, it's not that kind of like, you work for us, Marvel Comics. You work for us, DC. You better watch what you're doing, Jeff Johns. You know, because I'm like, I don't, Jeff Johns is clearly going to Jeff Johns. And I'm, you know, there's times when I'm down with it. There's times when I'm not. There's times where I'm thinking <laughs> that. I'm laughing because the times you were down with it, I think were called like 2007. Oh, maybe? ouch, ouch. Well, yeah, no, I mean, well, okay, like, for example, like, when I was talking about Marvel Legacy and DC Rebirth, I think that it is really worth saying, like, that is a comic where Jeff Johns certainly did what he intended to do, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. in the sense mm -hmm. of, it's rel it's relatively explicit, but it's also, it's right there, and I, and again, it manages to, to work, which is not the easiest thing to do in the world, and, um, and so... Well, I mean, well, to, I myself sort of, think that, yes, yeah, sorry. Well, I was going to say, to, to harm my twice said before, Rebirth works in a way that Legacy doesn't. Right. Um, because Rebirth feels, uh, Rebirth feels, uh, not new, and I think Rebirth was not intended to feel new, mm -hmm. but Rebirth feels like it is doing something different. And Legacy does not in the slightest feel like it's doing anything different. You know, for me, and I could be wrong, I feel that that DC Rebirth did what it was supposed to do. And uh, you could say that those things are new or not new, but 
it did what it was supposed, what it said it would do. What I find fascinating, again, like I said, is Marvel Legacy is either a, a complete failure in the sense of they didn't do what they thought, what they intended to, or really they were just, it was a big cynical scam and it was never going to do what it, what they said it was going to do, which with the current state of Marvel, I believe the latter is more likely, which is especially super sad. You know, Marvel's gone by with a long time of telling people like, you know, like, in fact, it changed things just briefly. I was thinking about, as you know, um, Brian Hibbs shuttered the Savage Critic website the other uh, weeks uh, or month or whatever, and uh, all the posts are still there. And, you know, there was the, the roundtables where uh, a bunch of us back when it was sort of the, the Legion of Superheroes of, of comic book critics um, did the roundtables on uh, Fear Itself. Well, there was pain for it, of course, but there was one that was comparing um, what Fear Itself and Flashpoint were doing, right? And if you think about it, whatever else you're going to say, like Flashpoint ended up being a quote unquote significant event in the universe. Fear itself mm -hmm. ended up being nothing. Yeah. You know, and I think that's to me, that's really kind of important. Like there's bits and pieces where Flashpoint is kind of like uh, part of also what it was designed to do was like sell lots of, you know, crappy comics in which uh, Batman's mom is the Joker or Batman's wife is the Joker. Sorry, Bruce Wayne's mom is the Joker. Uh, and yet it also did something so that when people still, like people still talk about it. Whereas like, I don't think anyone talks about Fear Itself unless it's Matt Fraction to Matt Fraction's therapist. You know, I've been talking about Fear Itself a lot in the wake of uh, Secret Empire. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. Well, I think a lot of people, some people you, have. In the you, sense know, of like, you know what was very surprising about that? I kept making the comparison at night. So many people say, no, Fear Itself was much better. Fear Itself had emotional beats that worked, which staggered me. <laughs> I was about to say, that's some amazing retconning of the soul because I think I think what sort of the, one, one of the things that I found like the most ha-ha about fear itself but in retrospect was still better than what happened with because with fear itself like all of the big changes got undone immediately uh like literally immediately like the yeah. next month yeah like the <laughs> next month whereas like you kind of wish that it happened with secret empire like i think like i don't like part of me is like are you fucking telling me that we're supposed to be like like black widow's still dead like you know, like she's dead for like the rest of that five issue series, Jeff. Well, I mean, is she still is she alive now? I mean, I don't. No, I no, she's, she is. Uh, she is Schrodinger's widow right now. Oh, really? Uh, officially, she is dead, but there is already like as far as soon as the the Secret Empire Omega epilogue issue, there's a hint that she's back, and nice. the Tales of Suspense series, the entire hook is: is she actually alive? Well, is she actually alive? At least posits that it's still a question. Whereas, yeah. like, is Bucky still, is Bucky actually dead is a question that they resolve the very next month. Like, I mean, you know what I'm saying, Graham. Like, the Black Widow is clearly not dead, just the same way that it seems like no fucking Marvel hero is actually going to be dead, it, particularly if they've got, if they're part of a movie franchise. Of course she's going to be back. 
But it's oh, the course. question is like, how soon? And I guess what I'm saying is, is I wish that Secret Empire did the how soon, like pretty much immediately rather than the idea really? of like, because th- this is actually why legacy doesn't work for me mm-hmm. because rebirth is based around, Oh look, it's fucking Wally West. Mm-hmm. Right? And at that point, Wally West had been gone for five years. Absolutely, which is and significant. And that felt like yeah. that, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. As opposed to, uh, Legacy is, it's Wolverine. He died two years ago. Right. Right. No, 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 no. I, you, I think we're on the same you know, page here. It, that's not true. Wolverine died three years ago. Right. And Valeria disappeared two years ago. Right. You know, or actually not, like one and almost, like one and three quarters or something. Right. But it's, but those are two, Soon to bring them back. Yes, I agree. You know, so, so, but you're arguing they should have just brought Black Widow back immediately because no one believes she's dead. No, I don't think that no one, it's not that no one believes she's dead. I mean, I'm saying no one believes she's dead, but that's not why it would be better to bring her back immediately. It'd be better to bring her back immediately because it basically looks like Marvel just fridged like one of its most visible female characters for a, for a cheap ass storyline, you know, and however long that <laughs> happens to go on, whether that's three months or five months or like eight years or whatever, I'm a, I'm, I'm very like, I'm dubious that that was a good idea. Now, of course, they could prove me wrong, you know, in the idea that they bring along a new Black Widow or they, Bring along whatever that blonde we've already black got widow. one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we've Yolena, got um. Huma, isn't there a red widow? Isn't red widow out it there? Was red, there was the blonde? Yeah, red the blonde widow was one. was a, a a character created for one of their pro spinoffs that made it into the comics. Oh, interesting. Um, but there's also there there was the other black widow. Yeah, yeah, from there's like Greg Rucka's miniseries, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. So I mean, they can do like I'm like, yeah, they they're in place to have a legacy character the same way that they did with Logan and Laura and you know all the other stuff. But I'm just kind of like, well, that's just it's also happening at a time where they're bringing everyone back. Mm-hmm. Like, have you may you probably haven't seen Marvel previews, but you know they're doing this Phoenix Resurrection series. Uh, yes. In Marvel previews, it is called "I shit you not." <laughs> yeah, this was Phoenix amazing. Resurrection: colon, The Return of Open Brackets Adults Close Brackets Jean Grey, <laughs> which is just fucking insane. <laughs> it's fucking insane that they're like, "Oh yeah, we actually already have a Jean Grey, but this is the adult one, and it's a big deal, you guys." Yeah, right. Also, it steps on the other Jean Grey series where the plot has been since launch. The Phoenix is coming back. How is this teenage Jean Grey, who's the only Jean Grey around, going to deal with it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, we're doing another series called Phoenix Resurrection, The Return of Adult Jean Grey. (laughs) But the other Jean Grey series is fine. Don't you worry, you guys. We're not doing anything there. Yeah. Fucking fuck. She's going to kiss Miles Morales. So, yeah. No, that's Spider Gwen Pool or whatever she's fucking called. No, Gwen Gwenum, sorry. Well, now she's Gwenum. She was Spider Gwen. I'd like to believe she'll be Spider Gwen yet again someday. So I'm going to like I'm going to pivot off all of this negativity, Jeff. Mm-hmm. All of it. And I'm going to say something nice about another Marvel comic entirely. Oh great. I read the entire Jerry Duggan run of all Uncanny Avengers. Mm. And that's a fucking solid comic. Is it? I, that comic should not work. I should not have liked it. It is 
with the exception of Rogue, a bunch of characters I don't like. Mm-hmm. And yet I really, I tore through that fucking comic. Hmm. I got through all of the issues of Marvel Unlimited and I was like, wait, I, I, I have to read more. You fucking haven't finished this, this Red Skrull storyline and I, I want to know what happens next. Even though I know he gets killed in Secret Empire. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm gonna have to fucking buy the rest of the comics. Wow. That's great. Like, I, 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 I was like, this is really, this sounds like a weird compliment. It felt like a rebirth book. Ooh. In the, like, it feels very focused on going, oh, I know how to do superhero stories. Mm-hmm. You know? I can make these characters seem consistent with the way you remember them and do superhero stories. Mm-hmm. Which, honestly, Marvel seems to have problems with. Like, right. I, before this, I was like, I guess, uh, uh, like, Al Ewing is the only one doing that these days. <laughs> so to find this, I was like, wait, this one as well? This is great! <laughs> Yeah, that is, that's pretty, pretty awesome. What's the secret? Why did it, do you know why it worked for you? Do you know what, what gave you that feeling? Honestly, uh, it does not, it doesn't straight ahead. It doesn't do a tongue in cheek or meta version of it. Mm-hmm. It is literally, it is very sincere in its storytelling. Right. In a way that, interestingly enough, someone like Wade, who I would think would do that sort of story, Backs away from in his Avengers. Hmm. His Avengers is too self-aware, mm-hmm. or rather, he is too self-aware in doing Avengers. Mm-hmm. So you'll have you'll have stories where you know it's fucking Kang and he's attacking. Wade is in his head too much, and he's like, "Oh, there has to be a twist." Mm-hmm. And like, so you know, the twist in the the Kang storyline is the Vision is threatening to kill a child. <laughs> what? And See, you're like, yeah, you're this... like that. Like, of course not. Yeah. Like that's that's ridiculous, you know. The the, the vision would harm any child mm-hmm. is is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So I like you immediately reject it. Whereas you have uh, Doug in, in Uncanny Avengers, and that, you know he's essentially just like they're hunting for uh, the Red Skull. Mm-hmm. The Red Skull is a telepath because he's got Professor X's powers. Mm-hmm. He's just gets fucked with them, and I will slowly reveal how that this is uh, this is happening. Mm-hmm. And so he does things where essentially they meet the Red Skull and they don't realize it. Mm-hmm. There's an issue where Rogue teams up with Gambit, but it's not Gambit, it's Red Skull the entire time. Wow. And you only realize in the last page where he's where he's like, you know, I guess that was kind of cruel of me to make her think that it was Ga- I was Gambit. Wow. You hmm. know, and there's there it's ju- and it's just straightforward tricks like that. Mm-hmm. We're like, sure, I'm in. Mm-hmm. And it just ramps up the, the tension. That is so, yeah. that is good. There you go. Well, I I, I, f- I felt good about a Marvel comic after everything we've been saying. Yes, because <laughs> I'm empathetic. Do you get it? Not like you. <laughs> it's you true. Hate it. Well, it's true. You just want to burn comics. Oh, seriously? Do you want? Do you want to know like the award-winning pun? that I managed to come up with while reading the Hoopla copy of Harley Quinn, A Celebration of 25 Years? Oh, God, yes. Harlery Quinton. Harlery. Yeah, exactly. I, I, and it, the thought came to me, and I'm like, wait, am I trying to actually make the case that Harley Quinn, like Hillary Clinton, is... 
like the female companion to a more successful political entity that I find essentially bankrupt, but is popular with a populace that is starved for a certain form of representation. And I'm like, no, not, not really. But I do realize after reading the Harley Quinn a celebration of 25 years, part of me is like, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm happy that the character exists in the world, but I'm really aware of how much the character doesn't do much for me, I suppose. Especially when the character makes the jump from the Batman animated adventures, where I think works very well, to kind of the DC universe. And now that, honestly, like reading it, part of me is like, well, Jeff, you're kind of full of crap in a way, because there's nothing in the later iterations of Harley Quinn past a certain point that move her, um, like, at her most, uh, when she's being her most madcap, she's really not anything different from, say, Gwenpool, which I like, you know, and I've been following, like, 25-some-odd issues, or 26, I guess, because there's that recent issue that came out of Suicide Squad in which she's she's the central character of the Rob Williams, or one of the central characters of the Rob Williams run. Uh but yeah, it just kind of had that interesting thing of like, oh boy, I'm kind of interested to check this out. Because of course there's the whole, it's Harley Quinn taking over Batman Day kind of thing. So there's a, they're pushing a lot of Harley Quinn product. I, I, did you, did you read the, the, I don't know if you picked up any of the, the Harley Quinn things. Did, did you read the two page introduction to that issue? The reprint, the Batman reprint? Yeah, the Batman reprint. It's a two page intro and then like a two page outro too. It's two page intro and one page outro. There's only oh, okay. three pages. Well, there we go. Yes. Yes, exactly. I read that and, and I found myself being both like, like, haha. Like, I don't know. I mean, I think that's, <laughs> I, think, I, think, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of funny how they are like outright making fun of the Batman comic. Yes. That they're like, they're not making fun of, you know, Batman, haha. They're literally making fun of that comic. Yes. That issue. Yeah. Which I, I was like, this is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, that part I thought was kind of fun. And like I said, in that sort of like, oh yeah, that meta part was fun. The rest of it though, I'm kind of like, mm, eh. So, you know, despite the fact that Harley Quinn, a celebration of 25 years has something, the, the Batgirl, uh, special that I always talk about every few years on this podcast where I think Rick Burchett's like visual storytelling is just kind of flawless. Oh, uh, you were talking about the hardcover. I thought you were talking about the one shot that had all the, the um, shorts in it. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the hardcover. That people, oh, man. Okay. Pe- people of Earth, for those of you who are listening who sort of bemoan the fact that there is no such thing as DC Unlimited or DC version of Marvel Unlimited, I would say the closest that you can get is if you get the uh, Hoopla app. And I guess if your library um, supports, I don't know if it's just kind of an all in, like your library supports the service and then gets everything that's on it or yeah, gets no, to no, tailor it. it. That is it. Yeah, that makes if sense. If your library signs up to Hoopla, they get the whole thing. Because yeah. every fucking DC release is on Hoopla now, right? Absolutely. I mean, and by release, Every, I don't everything mean, from Rebirth forward, at least. Yes. Yeah. They are heavy, heavy on like if the, if the trade comes out, DC puts it on there and DC in some cases for Batman day, it fast tracked it. Like you can check out Batman, the mass dark Knight, 
the master race, the tr- the whole trade is right there and super free if that's the kind of thing that you want to read, which I'll be honest, I downloaded it, haven't checked it out. But so oh, DC I'm stuff. I'm super curious how you're going to feel about that. Yeah, I'm kind of curious too. I mean, honestly, I'll tell you, well, it'll, it'll get me off my, my, my bint of negativity. But while reading it, I was like, Harlory Quentin. I, that's like, it's like, it's like someone gave you the keys to the magic kingdom and you don't know where the lock is. Like, I'm like, I, where's the fucking door? Like, I know that this is a pun that I can like make my name and fortune on, but I have no idea how. (laughs) I thought you were talking about the, the actual, the, the, they did like a, Shit, probably four nine ten nine or something. One shot recently. Mm. There was lots of shorts. It had Connor and Palmiotti. Uh, Paul Dini wrote one. Uh, mm-hmm. Chip Zdarsky does one with Joe Canones. Hmm. Uh, Daniel Kibblesmith does one with David LaFuente. Like it's 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 a fun one shot. I'm trying to yeah, it's four nine ten nine on on Comicsology, so I guess it was four nine ten nine book. Right. Um, everything's super slight, mm-hmm. and yet. There's more. This is the thing that I'm constantly surprised with Harley Quinn. There's always more juice in the engine than I think there is. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like the the Zdarsky short does nothing new at all. Mm-hmm. Like it is literally, you know, she's smarter than people think, right. but she's also a bit wacky. Mm-hmm. But the jokes within that. Still work, yeah. You know the Daniel Daniel Kibblesmith uh, short is she's out with Poison Ivy and Swamp Thing comes to Poison Ivy and like you've got to help me from an ecological disaster, and Harley Quinn is like she's my girlfriend. You fucking back off. I'll help you with the ecological disaster. Mm. And there's you know again, it's not breaking any new ground, mm-hmm. and yet there's more fun in the story than there should be. Well, and I think that's it. I think for me that Harley Quinn, like the celebration of 25 years, looking at it, I'm like, oh, for me was kind of the opposite of that sense of like, oh, there's, there's less to me than you think. Yeah, than I think. But what there is, 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 sorry, I'll just get to the end of the sentence and let you kick it back, but is just that, what is there is there is a significant need and frankly we kind of that sense of like you need like, I feel like we need more comedy in superhero comics and Harley Quinn gives that and when it's done well it's like oh yeah uh, DC needs a madcap like the, the fact that you know if we don't have ambush bug I'll settle for Harley Quinn you know what I mean sure yeah and and to be honest they serve very similar narrative purposes mm-hmm. now. Right. Um, what I was going to say is there's two things that are, are going on there, but the primary one is those, you know, X number year celebration hardcovers mm-hmm. are terribly curated. And we, we've talked about this before. Yes. Like the, the, the Superman and Batman ones are terrible. Like you would not pick those books up and be like, well, Batman's a very rich character. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I sort of, I, I, I have a soft spot Super, for Superman one five years. Su- you know, the Superman one, uh, Superman seventy-five year collection book is is really bad. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that it's great. I mean, I think there's a 
there's a problem for me, which is that you start off with some like rich stuff in the 75 year books and then it very much flattens out and becomes like the same seven creators. It seems like no matter what book you're picking up for, you know, for each of the characters, but, but I sort of like them. I, I don't remember if it was like, I thought the Joker might've been kind of a dud, but I sort of like the Batman or maybe it was the other way around. I'm sure the Joker one was not actively good at a certain point, considering it had to do like, oh, one of the best Joker stories ever told was Emperor Joker, which I feel like is such a, like, no, that statement is not true. You know what I mean? Like, just kind of like, I always feel bad for those books because they're always like, and then there was a killing joke in this book. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's always that like, yeah, there's the one thing that everyone agrees is a land breaking story that we're absolutely not going to do here, which is why I think you and I agreed that in some cases with the case of the 75 year collections, sort of the smaller the character, the better it got kind of. As I recall, yeah. but so yeah, well, and it, what I found interesting was at least with like the Superman or the Batman stuff, there was some actual historical uh, perspective between the eras. You know, there'd be the little S- two-page essay of introduction or whatever. Some of it. You're was saying a you're, you're surprised that they're not? There's no like. 25 years ago was a different time. <laughs> I'm I'm just literally saying that that the the thing that I found distressing about the Harley Quinn, a collection of 25 years is the pieces are written as if Harley Quinn is making all of her own decisions about her own life, you know, and where she is, of yeah, course, Jeff. Oh, but of course, but of course I know <laughs> you're like, poor Jeff. He's so naive. Yeah. It's, it's, don't you know that's how fictional characters work? Yeah, right. <laughs> Exactly. That's the part that sort of distressed me when, like, at least in the Superman one, they were talking about, like, oh, there was pushback about the, you know, or even the context of, like, Lois and Clark, the TV show, had Lois and Clark get married, and the DC Comics people were like, well, we got to keep up with this. You know, that was a little bit better than, like, I swear to God, the last section, which is the introduction to the New 52 and the Rebirth stuff, is literally, like... Harley's such a crazy chick. No one can keep her down. She even went and joined the Suicide Squad because she's so crazy. Oh the best part about that is, even before he said it, I was going to make a joke about something Something can't keep her down. Oh, Because really? you yeah. knew that was coming up. Yeah, right. You knew that they were like, oh, that wacky girl. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, it's just... Uh, anyway, so yeah, Har- Harley Quinn. I, I, like you said, there's parts that are amusing, and part of me is like, honestly, for me, it's kind of that deal of, uh, when the book hits, when it was hit its successful stride with, uh, uh, Palmiata and Connor, uh, writing is it really, cause of course, I love Connor's art, and the person that they have following up, cause they reprint Harley Quinn issue two. Uh, at the end of it, uh, it's the next to last piece. What's that? It's hard, hard, Chad Harden doing the art. Uh, yeah, hold on, let me get here. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, Chad Harden and Stefan Rue, and and it's and it looks beautiful. And then they follow it up with Harley's Little Black Book issue one, which is Harley Quinn and Wonder Woman, and it's it. The artists are Amanda Connor, John Timms, and Dave Johnson, and it it. It looks beautiful. It really does. It's just, it's, it's 
gorgeous stuff. Oh, wow. Also, it's really funny. There's like an issue. There's like, they literally reprint, I think the backup story from Suicide Squad number four, um, with, cause the writer's Rob Williams, but the artist is Gary Frank. And Gary Frank is doing such a really good job of Jim Lean up his stuff. I was like, huh. Uh, the Jim Lee art looks a little more uh, lively and not so wax museum-y, you know? And, and, but I and totally like, thought oh, it was that's why. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, I get it now. Interesting. I've learned a valuable lesson. Uh, and the other valuable lesson is, I, uh, I, re- I know I read that story because I've read every issue of the Rebirth Suicide Squad, um, the main series, and I, I didn't, I, I retained none of it. I retained less than none of it. I was like, huh, this story is new to me. I would pity my brain, except this story is so forgettable, I'm going to forget that I read it in about two days. So, kind of distressing that I'm old and it's <laughs> honestly... Oh man, Jeff! I feel this is this hasn't been a great episode for you. Uh, you know, I feel you've been you've been yeah you've been wrestling with some demons. I am. I'm demon wrestling. That's which doesn't that sound so cool? Like, I mean, when you say like I'm wrestling with some demons, you're like, ah, oh, poor guy. But if you're like Jeff Lester, demon wrestler, you're like, oh, well, I I, honestly, when I said wrestling with some demons, I meant it in the you know, I feel like you're you are actually genuinely dealing with some stuff and as soon as i got the word demons i thought of the kirby demon uh, that would be great. and i imagined you like wrestling with it and then him crawling inside your mouth and you were the new uh god i can't remember his name what is his name jason blood jason blood yes <laughs> i was gonna say jason Bourne. <laughs> oh man that would be the best pitch that book oh my god that would be yes, and his host Jason Bourne. You mean Jason Blood? Shut up! Still talking. That would be great. <laughs> How much better would it be if, like, if if like the demon's host was like this kick-ass like guy who like could like kill you with a magazine rack and a bicycle spoke, you know? But when things get too tough, then then Etrigan has to come out. I gotta admit, the way that I said, come out, I was like, ah, it's like kind of a festive dance party. Like, it really did make it seem like it was like, <laughs> it's party in Miami with Etrigan the Demon and Jason Bourne. You know, I'm like, huh, that's a, that's a weird hybrid comic that maybe could work if you get the right artist. <laughs> oh, man. But nonetheless, Jeff. Oh, right. Yeah, Demon you've read recently that you actually loved. Uh, let's be. Let's end on a positive note. Oh boy, positive note. Uh, yeah, give me there's a second, man. Some, there's got to be something you've read recently that you loved. Shall I play for time by telling you about the Audubon book that I told you I loved? Oh yeah, you should. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I I really am pretty sure I've mentioned this before. Uh, there's a book published by Nobrow called Audubon on the Wings of the World mm-hmm. uh, by, oh God, I'm going to mess these names up, uh, Fabian Grolo and Jeremy Royer, mm-hmm. I might say, which is uh, a biography of of the founder of the Audubon Society, of, of a man who makes, I think it's fair to say, some terrible life choices. And when they say terrible life choices, I mean basically going... I love birds so much, I'm going to abandon my family to travel America to try and draw every bird in America. Wow. And when I say draw every bird in America, 
He means shoot the fuckers, <laughs> then stuff them, then draw them. <laughs> Not joking. Uh, but it's, Jeff, it's a fucking beautiful book. Mm. Uh, Jeremy Royer's art is, is just lovely. It is really, really, really lovely. Uh, it's, it, it's, whether or not you're interested in, in James Audubon, it's, is, uh, you know, I'll leave that up to you. Mm-hmm. I was not, to be honest, but I, I devoured this book hmm. because it's just so well done. Like the art, the art is, is wonderful, but beyond that, the pacing of it, and the, it's a very gentle book, and it's mm-hmm. a, it's a book that, even though I am making fun of Audubon, the book is very sincere in its its uh, telling of his life story, mm. and it it doesn't judge. Mm-hmm. That it's it's a it's joy to read. It really genuinely is a joy to read. Uh, sorry, John James Audubon, not James Audubon. Uh, it is like I said, published by Nobra. I'm looking at the price right now, twenty two ninety five. It's a lovely hardcover, <laughs> and I I would highly highly recommend it to people who like nonfiction comics, which for some more and more of this year. Yeah, yeah, it seems it seems like, right? Yeah. Uh by the way, people who heard me giggling cuz I probably won't be talented enough to mute it out. It was because I suddenly thought of J Jonah Audubon. Um <laughs> and it was like, "Parker, oh, get out me and get me some pictures of birds." Birds. <laughs> So that's when you sort of messed on the name. I was like, J. Jonah Audubon. Hmm. Oh, so. no, I keep calling him Audubon, but his name is John James Audubon. John Jonah, J. Jonah J. Audubon. I get it. I get it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, that's good. I'm glad that you read something that you liked. I feel like it's all I, I, been... I loved it. Like, genuinely loved it. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that's... I, I want... Jeff, I want to stand on a note of positivity. So come on, give me something here. Uh, uh, well, I'll tell you this, Graham. I, it's been interesting. Re, I'm rereading The Stand, which I didn't think that I was going to end up doing, I guess, sort of, but I did. What's that? The Stand, the Stephen King book? Yes, the Stephen King book. Uh, and, um, and it's and it's and it's pretty interesting. In part because I think a few weeks ago I went and saw uh, that the movie it, you know, in the movie theaters, and I was kind of like, oh yeah, that was that was kind of a thing. Like I was like, oh yeah, I have fond <laughs> memories. Well, no, because honestly, I thought I thought the movie wasn't bad. I didn't think it was great, but I was I was very impressed at how much they were able to catch of what I remembered of the book without also having to deal with some of the more seriously fucked up aspects of uh, Stephen King's it, the book. Um, And so I was like, yeah, overall, this is fine. And interestingly enough, I feel like that was right around the time that Devin Ferrasi's stuff came back out as as I recall, which is ironic, but not pertinent except in, in uh, the realms of synchronicity. Anyway, after that, I was like, God, would I really actually reread the uh um like it i don't think that i would but i do find myself i did find myself being like but i sort of want to reread some king because i definitely find myself thinking like how much i enjoyed some of that stuff and also in the back of my brain kind of the yeah now that i'm sort of older can i figure out how how he did what he did you know and uh, anyway 
All of which is to say, I had purchased a copy of uh, The Stand for the Kindle at a at a really cheap price when it was on sale at some point, and uh, I'm like maybe. Um, Oh no! I, I actually, I I know that I'm like barely skimmed the surface of it. Like I'm 160 pages, maybe 180 pages yeah, into the isn't book. This, isn't this done like two million pages long? Well, see, and this is the thing that I think is really interesting. Is I read this... like isn't it genuinely about 700? Or, or am I misremembering that? Well, the the problem is, is there are two versions of the stand, which is where I was getting to. There's the version of the stand that I first read when I was a kid, which was the original published version of the stand uh then in the early mid 90s late 80s i forget which he they republished the stand with him uh having put a bunch of stuff back in like because at the time that he turned in the draft of the stand and he says in his introduction like i'm not doing this as a money grab i'm not doing this just to put stuff in that deserved to be cut um what happened was uh, the the draft that I turned in, the publishers were like, you've got to cut like 300 or 400 pages for this book because we literally will never make money on it if we print it at this size. So there's a version that King redid where he put the pages, a lot of sequences that he cut back in, plus there's artwork by Bernie Wrightson, like, I don't know, 16 or 17 front pieces which again makes me uh, makes me think that it was uh, in the late to mid 80s because that was around the time that they were like Stephen King was like yeah I really want oh, I want it I'm totally down with doing a werewolf calendar you know uh, with Bernie Wrightson you know whereas like every month progresses this werewolf story and then suddenly it becomes a ter- terrible movie with Gary Busey later on down at the end of things you know so uh all of which is to say, like, in addition, and this is the weird part that really ended up rubbing me the wrong way, is King updates the story because when it's republished, he doesn't want to make it a, um, a historical piece because I think, I, I want to say, I could totally be wrong, but I feel like The Stand was published in like 77 or 78 and is set in like 1980 because it's supposed to be a day after tomorrow kind of book yeah with when they republish it they republish it uh with the dates changed to 1990 but because king of course has re-put these chapters back in he's like oh you can't you, you i can't just do that I, and have people talking about all these dated 70s references because this is literally taking place in in the 90s so He's putting in references to Madonna and uh, modern video, not modern for the time, putting in references to video games that didn't exist. Like there's a point where um, uh, Larry Underwood is in Times Square and he goes to see a movie uh, and it's one of the Freddy Krueger flicks, you know, and it's and it and even says it's one of the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. And I'm just like. It's weird how much I'm like, this, this is a huge mistake. Like, part of me is like, I don't know, I gotta go. Apparently I'm gonna have to go find myself a copy of this stand, the copy that I remember, where the fucking cover of it is like, makes it look like it's gonna be like Star Wars. And, um, and read that because it's just so 
weirdly... It's not disruptive? It probably isn't. It's probably not to most human beings, but of course, my problem for me is, is I think that the stand, the version that I remember reading, I could be wrong, is so much a book about the 70s. It's so, so very much a book that is about the, the, the coming up on the end of the decade and America just feels so fucked up and everyone is so paranoid, um, that, that you just kind of think like, well, maybe it would be a good idea if the most of the world got wiped out and we got a chance to start all over again. You know, I mean, that's the amazing thing about King is, is that he takes something that the first part, half of the book is, you know, him doing a, a twist on uh, something out of the Andromeda strain, but it's really just the beginning as you know, and most, hopefully most people in the podcast listening know. Um, but so there's just something that's weird where it's like, oh, you know, like, cause there's always these references to Larry Underwood in particular is a dude who makes it big. You know, he's like a, he's like a guy who is just a session man and struggling mu- musician. And he's literally at the point where things are blowing up big for him and he's developing a career. And so all throughout the book, there's his, song is being played in the background, which King, for the most part, very sensibly only quotes like the chorus of most of the time. But the chorus itself is so clearly like a Neil Diamond tune of the 70s kind of thing. It's so out of place. So there's literally a thing like after, you know, after Underwood's song, like, you know, Madonna came on and and declared that she was a material girl. And I'm just like, what? No, 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 absolutely not. Like, it's just, and like you said, there's, it shouldn't be that big a deal and it's not, but part of me is like, I, oh, it was just a mistake of King to change that stuff. Cause, cause by changing it, he's like, uh, even in the introduction where he's like, this book is going to be read by people who've read the book before, but at the same time, I think he's aware, he's thinking that in the future it's only going to be read by people who haven't read anything but this version. And I, hopefully I'll, we'll get to hear from a lot of people in the comments who are like, I read that version and it was not in any way distracting because, you know, because it was the eighties, you know. Well, and, and also because then you know better. Uh, so I'm going to blow your mind, Jeff. Yes, please do. I, I actually looked on the internet to find the cover of the, your edition, which is nuts. Yeah. By the way. Isn't it? Um, but I found out that he's actually updated the date twice. Oh, interesting. The novel was originally published in 1978 in hardcover with the setting date of 1980. Thank you. The first paperback release was 1980, and it mm-hmm. changed the date to 1985. Interesting. And then the stand, the complete and uncut edition, right. added the sections and changed the date to 1990. Mm-hmm. So it was, it, but when it was updated, quote, unquote, you know, as the complete edition, mm-hmm. He changed the date to that year as opposed to the others where it was in the future. Mm. Okay, interesting. So it was published, was it published in 1990 then? That's what it says. Oh, interesting. Okay. That, the that stamp, sort of makes un- sense. The complete and uncut edition is 1990, it says. Mm-hmm. And changed the setting to 1990. Also, I didn't know that Marvel did an adaptation of it. Yeah, relatively recently, which I showed, I, I had, I had less to no interest in. 2012, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Roberto Aga- uh, Aguirre Sacasa was the writer. Right. 
uh, for the for the whole thirty one issues because it took thirty one issues. Yeah, and there were some miniseries. I think weren't there? It was it was six miniseries. Yeah. Oh, it was six miniseries, and they just named them differently. Yeah. Oh, okay, because at yeah. one point I was like, I... "Trips, American Nightmare, Soul Survivors, Hard Cases, No Man's Land, and The Night Has Come." Hmm. Interesting. You know what's fascinating is, is part of me is like. As someone who, who really stayed away from, was not impressed with Sakasa's Marvel work, but now really like his his horror work for Archie, I'm like, maybe I'll see if that's on Marvel Unlimited. That might be kind of interesting. It won't be on Unlimited because it's a mature readers thing. Oh, of course it is. Hmm. But uh, it might be through your library, I guess. Maybe. Also, there was something where I feel like I I thought the artist was a mis- mismatch. Like it started off with like Jay Lee Mike or. Perkins. No, you're thinking of Dark Tower. Oh, Dark is that Tower what I'm thinking? Okay, okay yeah. thank you. Thank you. Mike Perkins. Uh, Mike Perkins is this, apparently. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've n- I've never read The Stand. I'll be honest, King has never really done it for me. King's nonfiction. Like, I loved his own writing book, sure. Mm. But, like, King's fiction has never worked for me. Interesting, because I feel like we spent some time talking about King's stuff in a way that was like, oh, yeah, Graham's a fan. You know. No, I, I've read a bunch of it, but I don't like it. <laughs> oh, that's great, Graham. You're like, yeah, I ne- I don't really like it, but I've read 13 books. So what have, what have no, you but read? Just, like, no, 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 I get oh, it. I mean. No, but like, did you not do, uh, maybe this is, is totally just like my, my childhood. There was a period where like you read, or I read, like King and James Herbert. Oh wow! And Clive Barker and I didn't like like any of them. Like, Graham, I you read like horror stuff. Holy shit! No, yeah, I, okay. But like, we're talking like when I'm in high school. Oh, uh, interesting. Uh, and like, none of it, none of it worked for me. And like, I read a bunch of them. I'm actually looking at like I'm trying to find his bibliography to be like, have I read this? Have I not read this? Okay, let's look at his his Ooh, bibliography. This is very exciting. I read, I read Carrie. Mm-hmm. I read The Shining. Mm-hmm. I read The Running Man. Ooh. Um, Not my favorite of his Bachman books, I have to say. But... Oh, no, I read Misery. Mm-hmm. I liked Misery. I liked Misery, too, actually. Um, and that looks like it. Huh. No, it's not true. I read The Colorado Kids. Like, wow. his heart is book. Interesting. Um, because it was turned into that TV show. Um, and that TV show was when I was at io9. And so I read it and I like, I'm going to try and get a jump on this. Hmm. And that TV show was, uh, uh, one of those like, inspired by, as opposed to an actual adaptation. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you're like, ooh. Um, I'm looking at the collections because I'm sure I've read some of the collections. Yeah, I've read Skeleton Crew. And maybe Night Shift? Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to look up James Herbert now, because I'm honestly like, yeah, there really was like a year when I just read a shit ton of this stuff. Wow. I'm I'm surprised. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's see. From James Herbert, I read The Fog. Oh, shit. What else? The ma- oh, I definitely read The Magic Cottage and Sabacor. So, yeah, it must have been like the late 80s. That would be around about when I was... Yeah, that makes sense. Well, which also makes sense for Barker, too, because that's when Barker kind of popped up and out on the scene. So. Yeah. Yeah, but I read all of it, and I didn't like it. <laughs> but, but really, there was this point... And I think it's one of those things that it was... Um, 
like it was the, it sounds weird but like the closest thing you could get to comic stuff in books yes yeah yeah you know what i mean no totally and especially because this must have been like just pre-sandman or maybe the start of sandman mm-hmm. where like gaiman would name drop these writers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know yeah and and i i remember like that's when i started reading jonathan carroll as well because mm. gaiman would name dropped them actually it's actually read the first Jonathan Carroll because it had a Dave Megan cover. Mm. And I was like, Neil Gaiman's name dropped a man that's got a Dave Megan cover. Soul. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, but you know, it's, it's, you know, looking back at it, I'm like, why did I read so much of it when I didn't like any of it? Well, I think like you said, like, cause I remember reading Salem's Lot, which I think was the first King book that I had, read and i read it relatively you know like it was published in 75 and i feel like by i might have read it like in 77 or 78 like i was like two three years behind for a lot of this stuff which make i think actually sort of makes sense because i think i was caught up like with by the time firestarter was published in 80 i was reading it contemporaneously but um but I remember with Salem's Lot, I was like, oh yeah, this is like kind of like, it was like reading superheroes without superheroes because it was reading people doing really heroic stuff against big impossible odds and big scary monsters. But they were, they were basically being heroic. Like there was a strong offshoot. I feel for Salem's Lot and, uh, the stand, which would probably be the perfect ones to hook me is, is really um it is almost like dis- thinly disguised in the case of the stand epic fantasy and so it's very much like people facing impossible odds having to actually fight something impossible as opposed to Carrie and the shining um and which came later for me which are very different negative you know very different darker books so, mm-hmm. and I can see why it would not be your stuff, you know, but yeah, I was pretty thick into the, the horror fiction stuff, um, in high school and even college. And in fact, I'm going to run down the list and tell you, I've read Carrie and Salem's Lot and The Shining and Rage and The Stand and The Long Walk and The Dead Zone and Firestarter and Roadwork and Cujo and The Running Man. Interestingly enough, 1982's The Dark Tower of the Gunslinger, I did not read, but Let's face it, that's bullshit because it was not published in a mass edition back in 1982, so fuck you all. Uh, Christine in 83, <laughs> Pet Cemetery, Cycle of the Werewolf, which started off as the calendar illustrated by Bernie Wrightson. I did not read The Talisman, which is very interesting because I'm actually a big fan of, by that point, I'd read uh, Ghost Story and Shadowland by Peter Straub as well. I read Thinner. I read It. I skipped Eyes of the Dragon. I skipped the Dark Two, Dark Tower 2, The Drawing of the Three in 87. Which again, I don't remember if it was mass product produced at that point, mass published at that point. I read Misery, and then it, then you can see, like, around 84 is where I went from, like, I've read everything to, like, little holes. Like, I yeah, read Misery, like, yeah. passed on the Tommy Knockers, read and loved the dark half, and then I think that's pretty much it until, and of course I realize these are all novels, cause I also read, um, uh, Night 
night shift and skeleton crew, um, which fall in those periods. Uh, and I think that's really it until I read both Desperation and the Regulators. And I think that, that pretty much put, put it all to bed for me. Um, and then I, I believe I read, uh, his, his about writing. Oh, I also read Dance Macabre. Um, uh, I read On Writing and yeah, Night Shift, different, Night Shift, different seasons and Skeleton. I don't know if I read Skeleton Crew. Come to think of it. Anyway, all of which is to say, yeah, from, from his, his first stuff in 74 all the way through to 84, 85. Oh, right. And it falls in there. And it, yeah, it is 86. And if it wasn't for Misery, that really would have been like the last dark, the, the last King book that I read. No, dark half. Anyway, fuck it. Graham, I read a lot of Stephen King. It's interesting rereading the stuff. I really do still like The Stand. And even reading it now, I'm like, oh, oh, it's interesting. If we, if we, if we hadn't spent like two hours of maybe whinging about the dark misery that is the human race, I could tell you about how interesting the, the first hundred pages are of The Stand by how much King is sort of like Alan Moore, like doing an um, excellent job wallpapering over what he doesn't know with what he's read. And in particular with the first section of the stand, um, what he's read is crime fiction and his, his background in, in chain reading a lot of, uh, crime and mystery fiction really pays, uh, dividends for him for creating, creating the sense of a world. So. Huh. Interesting. And we'll see how I, I feel. I when, it, yeah. It, mm-hmm. It's no, I, I'm just saying that because it's it's for some reason King and Moore go together in my head. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's uh, as much uh, because of the timing than anything else. Well, and 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 uh, we've talked about a little bit that idea that um, Moore's ripped off everyone. You know, he's he's bitten yes. stuff. Yes, he has. And so there's more than a few times where he comes back for King. You know, he's, he's definitely pulled. And I think the strongest one to me the, is that one issue of Swamp Thing with the under, uh, the vampires underwater. But basically, which is just a, a huge, um, transmorgification of a good chunk of Salem's lot. But frankly, a lot of his, of Moore's writing on Swamp Thing is unsurprisingly and and very sensibly, one would say, super, super informed by King's work. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so, and let's face it, they go on to have some pretty weird ideas about women later on down the road. So, you know, or even right out of the gate. But, um, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. I, I think in both cases, it was always there, Jack. Well, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I, mean, I don't think it's so much of a, oh, and then all of a sudden. Well, no, because I think, I think that, that what King ends up sort of stumbling into, uh, in the situation with it, as opposed to what he starts off with in Carrie, for example, um, and even The Stand, which is 78, the female character who is, Franny, who is pregnant when we discover her or see her, like there's two or three chapters that are very much King working really hard to write, um, you know, a, a believable, sympathetic 
female character that's kind of caught in a real bind. Um, and I mean, there's ways in which it's kind of in a way that clearly is limited by the scope of like, hey, he's a guy. But like, you know, again, there's that thing of his take on 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 Carrie is it's 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 surprising it's surprisingly successful you know whereas uh when you see the stuff that happens later you're just like what by contrast i think i'm i don't know you know the stuff with more is really hard for me to unpack obviously and the great part is because we've run so long we don't have to yay woo <laughs> well time i know i know kind of ironic how that happens right so Anyway, um, should we? Should I start wrapping I th- I think things we, up? I think, I think you should, Graham. I think you should. Anyway, that's the closest thing that I can be. I've been enjoying rereading it. It's a thing that I can be positive about. The end. I'm glad. I was I was looking for a comic, but I'm glad you went there. Holy shit! I, I'm reading Robin Sloan's. I was reading Robin Sloan's Sourdough right now. Oh and yeah! Am I making it? God, that book Sloan? seems everywhere. And is it good? Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I, I, I'm, I'm not done with it, but I'm, I'm really, I've really enjoyed it. And I've not read the, like, the famous one that he did previously. Mm. The, the Penumbra's yes. blah, 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 bookstore, blah. Bookstore, magical bookstore, read, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Sourdough is working for me. I suspect Sourdough, from the reviews I've read at least, Sourdough would work less for me if I had read the earlier book. Interesting. Well, I've seen a, I've seen a number of reviews that are essentially like so, like the last book in this one, um, so it might be a case of you know, um, you know, going back to the formula with with lesser success this time around. But because I'm coming to it fresh, it's working for me. Mm. I shall wrap up now, Jeff. Actually, oh, let, let, let me do me. mention. I I feel like this is one of those things that's confusing because I feel like we talked about it on the podcast, but I just mentioned it on the Tumblr from a few weeks back. I really did like Al Ewing's uh, Rocket issue five, which sort of in the same way that I'm blabbing about King is it, it, you know is Ewing taking crime fiction tropes and and messing with them. By being with super formalist tricks, and I, which I ended up enjoying a lot. So, just because you just said King there, I, so did you read Commandy Challenge Nine? Yes, and and it's tough because I always felt because you told me to read it, or you were like, "Hey, you should read it," and it's tough for me because, in a way, part of me is I feel like it's a. Um, as you know, King, King can, King is, it can be hit or miss with me. And it's a weird issue. But what's fascinating to me is, I feel like he's never, I feel like if it's a miss, it's a big miss for you. If that makes sense. Right. And, and like, I, I feel like he's never, I feel like King is rarely like, oh, so almost. I feel like when he misses for you, he, like Batman, I yeah. feel like he really misses for you. Yes, exactly. And so the fact that King, and you sort of warned me that King basically breaks the round robin premise of the book and, and does a done in one sort of thing that although he specifically shouts out what's happened to Commandy in a two page spread to show that he read the rest of the issues or whatever. Yeah. And, and he does set up like the next issue. Like he does look to a cliffhanger. Yeah, he it's does. Just, he does with the cliffhanger. He do, he does it in such a way that 
neither what has come before nor what comes after matters, for want of a better way of putting it. Yeah, right, exactly. Right, because that's the whole point, is that, that, oh god, is is that Commandy Challenge 9 is King writing about the, the setup of the book and the artist by, we should mention by Kevin Eastman and uh, I feel like, I feel like Eastman's inker is doing a lot of lifting too in this. Oh, uh, it is, I didn't say it's uh, Freddie Edwards. Uh, Freddie, Freddie Williams, yeah. Freddie Williams. Freddie Williams. The second, yeah. They're both listed as, as artists on that. Uh, it, it is a, uh, so Commandy, despite, you know, basically being in the verge of being swallowed, on the edge of being swallowed by a sea monster in the previous issue, this issue opens up with a quote from, uh, Blaise Pascal and, uh, Commandy is in a, is in a room with a bunch of other, um, you know, sentient animals, but essentially over the, course of every day these doors open and a thing in a in a robot suit comes and grabs someone without saying what for and drags you know a person off and commandy every day tries to fight um this being and more or less loses to it every day and continues to work and it goes through like by the end of it it's Day, it's day 237 is, I think, yeah. when it finally ends. And it ends it's with 200 and something, yeah. Two, and it ends with a quote from, it starts with a quote from Pascal and it ends with a quote from Jack Kirby. And, um, uh, and I, I think for myself, it's very much, I, I think it's safe to say that it's, it's literally a comic about being in a comic, I suppose. Interesting. I, cause I read it as a comic about making a comic. Uh, yeah. I suppose that's pro, I suppose that, is that true? I guess that's probably true. I mean, I, I feel that it's more the idea that, interesting. That's interesting. Cause for me, of like, course. It's like, I, I literally was reading it as a metaphor for the creative struggle. Mm. That is literally like every day you have to get up and you have to have the fight and you have, it basically you get your ass kicked, but you have to return the next day. Oh, interesting. Yeah, might be. I, I, I mean, yes, that makes a lot of sense. Which to me. made the Kirby, which made the Kirby quote at the end land particularly heavily for me. Right, which I think is supposedly super great. Cause for me, it seemed like if you see it from the point of view of it being about a character, about how it is for characters in comic books, you know, that they move, that, that each day they're more or less Read, you know, and at some point they're pulled into out of the room that they're in and into the next room where they have no idea what's actually happening, you know, which is the next issue. Then, then, you know, I'll have to reread it because I was like, it's definitely about, it's definitely, you know, there's the, it's the definitely about comics. Yes, exactly. The visual symbol about it is definitely about comics. Also, I sort of felt that there's, um, the idea is that the robot is the one that has to show up and drag everyone to the next, into the next issue. You know what I mean? And the idea of, to, in that extent, I felt, particularly because there's the one character that starts, that is always saying, like, not my baby, not my baby, you know, that, that I always feel is, but I guess I see where that could actually work for the, the, the comics 
creator too the the idea of creating something and it's your you got to kill your precious darling but i very much saw it as this idea of like yeah the creator has to drag people into the next issue and and more hopefully more importantly move comics forward whether the people in the room want them to or not i guess the people in the room yeah. want to stay there they want to have you know the same experience every time um rather than be dragged into into the future of the of the next thing which also is why i think one of the characters at one point very explicitly is like i think when we get dragged from this room we're just getting dragged into the next room like and that's that's awesome you know i don't know i it's funny cuz part of me is like <laughs> i have to say like you're probably right but i, I kind of had this thing of like i think tom king's getting a lot is getting maybe writing bi-weekly comics is making him super cynical about the the comics industry like super fast but um i don't know. I, I would not i would not put it past that right. um you the next time we do oh wait what which is going to be in two weeks i guess mm -hmm. um the final part of the joke of wars and riddles will be out that's right and I look forward to talking to you about that. Have you have you read it already, Graham? Yeah. Ah, you son of a uh, bitch! That's so far away. How did you get a hold of it? Wow. Yeah, because it comes out. This, it comes out on Wednesday. Oh, is it out this Wednesday? Oh, but we're not discussing. Yeah, it. Jesus Wednesday. Christ! But we're not doing a podcast next week, so it'll be two weeks. Right. Yeah, I actually just um, read the penultimate part today. So. Um, it's between that because the commandy challenge, like. As, as I've said before, both on and off the podcast, Mr. Miracle is wrecking me emotionally. Yes. Like, Mr. Miracle is, is making me an emotional wreck. Mm -hmm. Command the challenge, because I took it as a metaphor for the creative struggle. Mm -hmm. And, and for, to an extent, the, um, unrelenting nature of basically just getting beaten up by your job. Mm -hmm. Uh, that hit me really hard as well. And like Batman 32 also hit me really hard. And I was like, I feel like Tom King is actually trying to hurt me with his writing right now. <laughs> um, and what it is for the end of the jokes and bonds, and this isn't, a, this isn't a spoiler. I'm just putting it in your mind for when you read it. Right. What impacted me is not the end of the flashback. Mm -hmm. It's what happens in the framing sequence mm. that that like really like genuinely left me like I have to take a minute mm. after I finished hmm. well that um, is, that that is interesting I will um yeah I'll have to because what happens what happens in the the, the flashbacks part mm -hmm. I see why it has impacted Batman in the way it has mm-hmm but it did not impact me in that way at all. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, I was like, oh, I understand why it's impacted that character that way. I understand why he feels that way. Mm -hmm. But I almost feel like he's overreacting, mm -hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so it's what follows that, that I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Deep breaths. <laughs> wow. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I will... I'll have to see. I'll just have to see. I... um you know, but I should also add. I think it's something that's just going to make you mad. 
I suspect that it probably will, although we'll see. I mean, I, that's the I weird think, part. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's something you're going to be like, he doesn't understand Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. I really do. Yeah. I think so much of that, of the, the 32 is going to make you upset. I, I, which is kind of why I look forward to talking to you. Right. Talking with me about it. Yeah. I think that, I think that's fair. It wouldn't surprise me because as the, as the war of jokes and riddles wore on, I, again, as I find myself, it's like Tom King's Batman is a comic that I enjoy reading as long as Batman's not on the scene. The more he comes into the scene, the more like I disagree with it and I'm fascinated by how much the war of jokes and riddles is really like a lot of the run up to that point kind of a Batman comic without much Batman as as as, as minimal amounts of Batman as he can work in there yeah it, I mean it's, it's very much a, a story about you know the Riddler not even so much the Joker I feel like the Joker is almost the MacGuffin for the story for me yeah. Uh, the Riddler and Kite Man is, yeah. is who the story feels like it's about. Yeah, it's. I, I agree. I think. I think it's mostly, for the most part, it's very much about. Uh, I mean, Kite Man is where our emotional empathy, sympathy lies, and it's which is wonderful. The Riddler stuff is uh, a interesting, interesting in the sense of I think that it's probably the most interesting take on the Riddler in some time. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just that I, I think that I think the King's got a better handle on how to make a version of the Riddler work. You know what I mean? So Well for me, he's making Snyder's version of the Riddler work. Yeah, I guess. Except I'm not really sure that I feel like I read that and I'm like, oh yeah, that's Snyder Snyder's Riddler. Like yeah. Oh, because for for me, Snyder, Snyder I want to say Snyder as well. No, yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Sorry, Snyder's Riddler um, was the smartest man in the room, right? But Snyder didn't write him as the smart, or as particularly smart. Mm-hmm. Snyder wrote him as the smartest man in the room who wouldn't do anything. I, actually, as you know, I'm I've been rereading Watchmen and before Watchmen recently. Yes, and I was uh, reading Morrison's Super Gods chapter about it mm-hmm. and he calls us Amandians the smartest man in the world who has to make incredibly stupid decisions <laughs> and that's what that's what Riddler's uh, that's what Snyder's Riddler is for me mm. that could Whereas be King's Riddler seems like I, I can believe he's actually smart I, I believe he's actually smart I, I think it also helps that he actually tells riddles you know what I mean? Whereas, yeah. like, I felt like Snyder is like, oh, isn't isn't existence itself a riddle? You know, and I'm yeah, just exactly. like, it's yes. no, no, you're cheating, <laughs> well, Scott. Don't you Snyder. see? I've made a question mark. Yeah, right. Exactly. I'm smart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's just why isn't the Sphinx a riddle? Like, ugh, no, no, What's no, no. The, the riddle of the Sphinx. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. He's kind of right there. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that, but I, I would have to go back and read the fucking issue, Graham, but I, I guarantee you it's not. <laughs> disagree. Strong disagree. Anyway, so yeah, I imagine it will probably get me mad again, and that's, that's, that's great, Graham. That's great. <laughs> I, I was mid-route to wrapping up before I, 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 
You were. You were like, Commandy yes, Challenge! Did you read Commandy Challenge? What is, uh, I used the word what king? I, what did I use? What I, yeah, it literally, because you were talking about Stephen King and you went king, and I was like, oh, I meant to ask Jeff about Commandy Challenge. <sighs> Listeners, I'm sorry. Jeff, I'm sorry. Graham, I'm, sorry I'm also sorry. Everyone. We were heading towards just bringing it in under two and a half hours, and then I fucked it up, everyone. Yeah. Yep. Although, who knows, Jeff might cut all of our earlier uh, misanthropy out. We'd have nothing. <laughs> Once, if you cut out my misanthropy, Graham, it's like it's a 45-minute episode. Uh, maybe, maybe people would like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, right? Uh, let's, let's not start uh, going there. That way uh, lies madness, I feel. Instead, I would rather, instead of taking us towards madness, take you towards <laughs> wainwhatpodcast.com. We'll be sure... <laughs> episode <laughs> also want to point you towards weirdwhatpod.tumblr.com where there will be random images of comics that I have read that I just put up on the internet because that's what I do for fun except normally I skip Fridays these days because my Friday workload has become nuts four days is enough Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday that's enough people also this week upcoming near Comic Con's happening so really who the fuck knows Right. I'm just going to say there might be stuff there might not. Um, we're also on Twitter at Wait Podcasts. Jeff is on Twitter at LazyBastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I'm on Twitter at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are a Patreon-supported podcast, which means I get shut up for a bit and Jeff takes the wheel. Well, yes. Hello, everyone. Uh, I think, I feel like many people would think that the, the thing that Graham should not do after the last two hours and 38 minutes is give me the wheel, but we're, it's okay. We're in- Jesus, take the wheel! <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay, Graham. Jesus, Jesus is okay. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't have to get upset either. Cause we're, yeah, we're- when you look down, how many pairs of footprints are there in the sand? Uh, well, but I think with me driving, <laughs> like, isn't that the problem? Like, unless, oh, unless no, it's like no a Flintstones it. mobile where we're picking up the car and we're like, actually, I'm driving, but we're actually, that would be great. It was like where you saw only one, one set of footprints was where Jesus picked up the Flintstones mobile and drove us all. <laughs> Jeff, talk about Patreon. I'm ruining it by, yeah. by interrupting us again. Talk about Patreon. Patreon's great, everyone. Uh, we really appreciate the support, uh, from our many fine patrons via the Patreon website. Why don't you go check us out? Look, look, look us over. Hey, um, gosh, I wish I remembered the other part of that song lyric. Uh, we're grateful to everyone who listens to the podcast. We really are. And, uh, I feel so, um, Really lucky to be able to have, uh, discussions in, in the comments threads at waywhatpodcast.com or even swap comments, uh, on, uh, Twitter with people that I would not know, uh, at all otherwise. But wasn't for the fact that we are listened to by some really awesome, very intelligent, very astute comics readers, uh, who, um, are really willing to put up with our BS, which is wonderful. And in fact, uh, at Patreon, uh, uh, there's an extra cut above people who are willing to actually enable RBS, which we very much appreciate. 
including the Kind Crude American Ninth Art Studios and Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. We are especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast. Um, and normally I throw in a part since, uh, Empress Audrey is Queen of the Galaxy about, uh, her crushing us in her cosmic paw. But, you know, um, I'm, I'm gonna skip that this time because part of me is like, mm. <laughs> 2017, I'm like, maybe that'd be a good thing. Graham? Didn't I make that joke last week? I think you probably did, didn't you? At the end of the Baxter I, I, oh Wait, God. last week was this, a Baxter this, building. Was it, was that it? Yeah, this is how, how, like, this is how 2017 is going for both of us. That both of us have now made jokes about, ah, maybe it wouldn't be that bad. <laughs> maybe oblivion wouldn't be for any worse than what we're going through right now. Right. Exactly. Oh man, have you been following this thing with Jim Carrey or no? I mean, and when I say the thing, uh, I, mean... I, I saw him do his interview in whatever it was, the VMAs or whatever. He, he showed up and was clearly having an existential crisis. Well, the thing is, is he makes it sound like it's not really an existential crisis, uh, which is the part that I find really fascinating is he's just kind of happily operating under the idea that he doesn't exist. It's interesting when you read the interviews, cause there was like an interview, it was either variety or the Hollywood reporter that was kind of a backup to link to that. Um, cause he, there's a film that's out about him and his painting and stuff like that and 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 this whole process that he went through in which he's kind of like, yeah, no, I feel great. I don't exist. What's amazing is in print, it reads very well. When you see him in person at Fashion Week, he's very kind of aggro, uh, very much saying like, you don't exist, you know, and it's like, huh, yeah, it's a little, it's a little bit better when it's uh, phrased with what seems like unsurprisingly when someone is is talking about a form of spiritual enlightenment uh which i find alluring i find it's better if they don't kind of sound like somebody who's got a chip on their shoulder and is kind of semi-spoiled when they do so um but yeah interesting jim carrey jim carrey's whole thing about whether or not we actually exist and ultimately in the end like does it really matter because at some point we will cease to exist and then there's just a universe and then the universe ceases to exist was for me a uh, food for thought. So this has been philosophy today <laughs> with Jeff Lester and Drew McMillan. Yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> the great thing, listeners, check in for two weeks. Two weeks, I could be so manic. I'll be like, Graham. Oh my God, I read the most amazing Hookjaw story, and we'll be right back to where we started, and it'll be that. That's oh my probably God. good. Oh my god. From the ridiculous to the sublime or something like that. I don't know which is which anymore. <laughs> People, we're going to be back in two weeks. It's going to be a, a lollapalooza of, of whatever the hell is going on in the world at that moment. As filtered through the minds of a tired Scotsman and uh, no longer empathetic but still funny Californian and then he doesn't say anything oh no sorry that was in two weeks I keep waiting for you to do the bye did I steal from you or bye did... <laughs> you... I almost did like a little one bye 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 that would be great do the Sean on all thing bye 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 
Not include all of that. You have to include all of that. Yeah, yeah. that part I think I will. That's that. That really would be robbing someone. 